Well, if you have anything to say while I'm going through this, just feel free to chime in. Okay. I will sit here and make bird noises and other bodily functions. Awesome. That's exactly what I was looking for. Haka! Oh. <laughs> oh, that would be awesome to start the show with. Rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton. Kal-El grew to manhood on Earth, whose yellow sun and lighter gravity gave him fantastic superpowers. In the city of Metropolis, he poses as TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil all over the Earth and beyond as Superman. This is Superman in the Bronze Age. And welcome to the 114th episode of Superman in the Bronze Age. My name is Charlie Niemeyer, and you probably know that if you've listened to the show before. But what you don't know is that this time, I have a guest with me. Actually, you probably do know that by the time you read this, because it'll say, hey, I've got this guy on the show. Anyway, I have got a guest on the show today who's going to help me cover a... I don't know what you want to call this. I guess a more modern version of a Bronze Age tale, but we'll get into that in a minute. First off, I'd like to introduce my friend and my very first co-host on the show, or guest host, guest host, Mr. Michael V. Bradley. Hey, everybody. Yay. Yay. Hi, Mike. How you doing? I'm all right. Yay. I was I was caught a little unaware because you started you introduced the show and in my mind I was expecting to hear the music first and then you just started talking and I remembered <laughs> oh yeah we're recording a podcast the music comes later yeah <sighs> if you want I'll put it in the show when you hear so that when you hear it later yeah it'll be there do that it'll it'll, that it'll make it better. for you it'll make oh it yay okay good glad you I hope you enjoy it um Michael has come onto the show he was my very first guest way back. In a very early episode, my first episode after the Kryptonite Nevermore story. It was so long ago, I had to walk uphill both ways in the snow just to get there. But he did it, and he didn't sound mm-hmm. tired at all. Nope. Nope, not at all. But now he's going to be one of my final guests, Aww. as we've only got about three more episodes left before the, f- before the show comes to a close. But we're not going to talk about that now, because that's sad. Yay! Yay! Let's talk about happy stuff. This episode, we're going, we're jumping a little bit into the future. Uh, well, kind of. As you know, we've been covering the Marty Pasco run on the Superman title for well, all year, I guess. And in this episode, 
we are taking a look at, at Superman Retroactive 1970s, number one, which Marty Pasco wrote. And he wrote that as part of a – it was a big project that DC did just in time for them to reboot everything for the New 52 by looking at the past 30 years' worth of comics, by having some of the creative teams from those – previous three decades come on and tell a story somewhat related to the work that they actually did on the book back when they originally were on the title. Marty Pasco was brought in to write the 70s Superman book. Uh, Marv Wolfman came in for the 80s. And Louise Simonson and John Bogdanov did the 90s title. We're not going to look at all those, just the 70s one. And we're only looking at this because of how much it ties into what we've just been going over the last several episodes of this show. Which means that when we get to the elsewhere, it's going to be really weird. Because there's like 8,000 comics that DC put out that month as opposed to the usual like 14. (laughs) So that's going to be fun. But I brought Michael on because I thought he would offer a unique perspective. And he threatened to strangle me if he wasn't on one more time before the show ended. You know how it goes. I kind of want my kid to have a dad. So I decided, hey, Mike, why don't you come on for this one? So you don't want your kid to be Batman? Is that what you're saying? What do you got against Batman? Well, Batman's cool. (laughs) (laughs) But he's not as awesomely cool as Superman. And Superman, well, well for a good couple of decades had parents so you're gonna you're just gonna blow up the planet instead exactly okay and then i'm gonna rocket my kid to another world old couple is going to adopt him and pretend that he's theirs fair enough yeah why not all right and oh and also we're going to forego emails this episode because we're recording this well in advance and well i haven't gotten any emails on this on the previous episode yet because it hasn't come out yet because I haven't recorded it yet. <laughs> Yay. Hi, future people. Hello. Yes. So what we're going to do is going to take a – oh, this <laughs> intro is just falling off the track. So I'm going to take a quick break to do a couple promos. And when, I come, when we come back, we'll look at our issue for the day. Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. Why do you think superheroes are so important? People need heroes because they need somebody to inspire them, something to aim for, somebody to try to be like. One is the man of tomorrow, with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. The other, the caped crusader carrying out a solemn vow to spend his life warring on all criminals. For seven decades, they've been the world's finest heroes. They've teamed on radio, comics, newspapers, animation, and more. And now, they're teaming up for a podcast. To the Batmobile. Let's go. Up, up, and away! Atomic batteries. Turbines to speed. Superman and Batman celebrates more than 70 years of the world's finest team with randomly chosen stories featuring the Man of Steel and the Dark Knight. Superman and Batman, featuring your two favorite heroes in one podcast together. Find it today at greatcrypton.com. 
Tangent, an abrupt change of course. Tangent, to go off suddenly in another direction or on a different line of thought. Tangent, a comic event featuring brand new characters with very familiar names. I'm waking up to action dust. I wipe my brow and I sweat my rust. I'm breathing in the chemicals. Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast. Find it bi-weekly on iTunes and at greatcrypton.com. In the Tangent Universe, you only know the names. We now return to Superman and the Bronze Age. And we're back. And today's issue, like I said earlier, is... DC Retroactive Superman, the 1970s, number one. And if that's not a mouthful... I don't want to go there. Uh, the cover date on this puppy was September of 2011, uh, with an on-sale date of July 27th, 2011, and a cover price of 499 pennies. It's a lot of pennies. That's uh, a lot of pennies, which is which is the highest cover price of any book I've covered so far on the show. Wow. Mm-hmm. But is Wait, it worth it? How what? Much was, how, how much was the... Oh, I was thinking the uh, Muhammad Ali one we did, but that was only like a dollar and a quarter, wasn't it? Yeah, back in the day. Wow. Yeah, I'm talking cover price, not what I had to pay to get right, it. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that's a whole different story. Anyway, <laughs> the title of this story is Death Means Never Having to Say You're Sorry. Written by Marty Pasco, penciled by Eduardo Barreto, inked by Christian Duce, 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 Duce. Whatever. What he said. Whatever. I apologize, Christian, if you for some reason are listening to this show. Uh, lettered by Carlos Mangual, colored by Andrew Elder, edited by Ben Abernathy, and a cover by Barreto and Alan Pasalacqua. I cannot say names in this issue. What the heck? I'm, I'm glad you're doing the credits instead of me because I would have messed it up even more. So. <laughs> well, yeah, thanks. You're welcome. That's, that's very kind of you to say. Well, our story begins with Superman um, apparently has been hit by a meteor. And the captions go like thus. Pride. It is said, goeth before the fall. And we don't mean the season. Right now, no one knows that better than a falling Superman whose collision with that meteorite, which you can see in the background if you're reading the comic, was nearly fatal. But it's just the latest in a series of bizarre, impossible calamities, whose origin will be revealed when the Cape Kryptonian learns a very valuable lesson, if somewhat odd, 
and I've just messed that up, but that's okay. Uh, the lesson is death never means having to say you're sorry. It had already been an unusual week before the Man of Steel's reality began to unravel altogether. And then we go into the actual story. I guess the whole story is technically flashback. But anyway, our story begins in Superman's Fortress of Solitude, where he's making his routine call to Van Z in the bottle city of Kandor. Although he's calling a little early and interrupts Van Z, practicing his Torchasm Vo, is how I'm going to call it. Uh, or Torchasm Vo. I like Torchasm Vo better. My emphasis. Van Z is concerned for our favorite Man of Steel, considering his busy week dealing with Bizarro, a regrouped version of Skull, which facilitated the breakout at Carl Draper's super awesome, inescapable, super impenetrable prison that floats. And since then, Superman has had to recapture Metallo and the Atomic Skull, but Master Jailer is still at large, and Parasite, presumably, never got out of the prison in the first place. What all this means is that he hasn't gotten any sleep in the past week, and while a Kryptonian on Earth does not need sleep physically, they still need the psychological rest that comes from dreaming. Frustrated, Superman says he doesn't have time to listen to any of what Fanzi's trying to tell him, promises to be in Kandor for the Crystal Hills Game Preserve ceremony on Friday as planned, and flies off. But unknown to the action ace, Supergirl is there as well, and both she and Van Z agree that Superman is at less than 100%. As Superman returns to Metropolis, his superhero picks up a scream coming from Lana Lang, who is currently at the WGBS building, which is currently being attacked by Master Jailer. Once the villain spots Superman, he reaches for the power packs attached to the key ring on his belt, but a quick burst of heat vision takes care of that problem before it can happen. Uh, which causes Master Jailer to fall because he's lost all his power. Unfortunately, did I say unfortunately? Fortunately, Superman is there to catch him, and, and after turning Draper over to the police, checks on Lana, who thinks this would be a good time to try making out with the hero. This is the point at which Lois walks in and starts acting very out of character, thinking there might be more going on with Lana and Superman than Superman is willing to admit which shows a complete lack of the trust that was so important in their relationship when we were reading these back in the 70s. Anyway, Superman repairs the wall and takes off when Skull is spotted attacking the Superman Museum in a new and improved Skull ship, which actually looks just like the old one, but is colored digitally now. Superman tries to attack the ship, but is knocked back by some sort of force field. As he regroups, the atomic Skull shows up, but this doesn't make sense, because for one thing, this guy sounds different, and Albert Michaels is still locked up at Mount Olympus. So after an x-ray scan isn't able to see through his mask, the atomic skull attacks, but while it hurts Superman, his electric bolts literally pass through the rest of his troops, which, you know, doesn't make sense either. At this point, the other skull agents actually start replicating, and not in the bone chicka wow wow kind of way. As Superman's rage increases, so do the number of Skull agents, who are now heading towards the WGBS building. Meanwhile, inside the building, Lois, who has already been filling in on the newscast for the past week, because Lano had, had been on vacation, but was back at the building earlier, in the, I don't know. Anyway, uh, she's trying to leave, but with, and with Lana in the hospital and Clark out, producer Josh Coyle is trying to talk her into filling in one more time so that Steve Lombard doesn't have to head the show because he's a numbskull. 
basically what they say in the issue, not just my own personal opinion. But Lois would rather visit Lana at the hospital so she isn't all alone, which is an act that is seen by Superman as he checks out the building with his x-ray vision. He's so overjoyed that he doesn't notice the skull agents completely disappear. But he has no time to worry about that right now since Clark has a newscast to do. At this same moment, in the ninth dimensional land of Bipkis. That's right, Bipkis. <laughs> which is the Las Vegas of the other dimensional realms. Our favorite imp, Mr. Mixias Pitalik, has is in deep trouble with Grab and Squeeze, the wagerer. I believe that's what it's supposed to be. It looks like Grab and Squeeze, but I like Grab and Squeeze better. Yeah, I think Grab and Squeeze is, yeah. Yeah, it works for me. Anyway. See, Mixie bet that Superman can screw himself up with his anger and impatience just as much as anybody else, destroying himself and everyone around him with his own emotions. So, unknown to Superman, Mixie gave him the power of telekinesis, which causes his personal demons to manifest themselves whenever he gets angry, in the form of either his enemies or other dangers to himself, such as Lois acting way out of character. But see, Grab and Squeeze has taken that to mean that Superman will actually kill himself, as well as a lot of other people. And unless there is death and destruction, Mixius Pitalik won't win the bet. But Mixie's no killer. Remember that. <laughs> so things aren't looking too good for the little guy. Things are looking a little off for our hero also, as Clark is going over his script for the newscast and doesn't see anything about Skull attacking the Superman Museum. But when he asks Josh about it, He's got no idea what he's talking about. A quick supervision check of the museum shows no damage from the attack, despite the damage he did witness earlier. Steve Lombard picks that moment to return from the doubleheader he was covering, and after seeing that Clark doesn't look too good, Josh tells Clark to go home and Steve to get ready for the newscast. This, plus the chili from Steve's chili dog having dripped onto a script, kind of takes Clark off a bit, which causes his telekinetic power to make it so that Steve is no longer able to read... Not that I'm 100% sure he could before, which, as you might imagine, causes problems for the jock once the newscast begins. And a slight laugh from yours truly. Huh. Anyway, however, by this point, Superman is in the fortress where he has met up with Supergirl and concedes that maybe he does need a little bit of rest. Supergirl reveals that she's been keeping an eye on Superman using the fortress satellites and was able to capture the, his battle with Skull, which actually did happen. The footage also shows Mixias Pitalik putting in an appearance, then mysteriously disappearing again of his own free will, although the Skull agents stuck around after he left. Now this is confusing because one, Mixie left of his own free will. He doesn't do that. Two, uh, you know, once he left, the Skull agents should have disappeared if he had created them. This causes much frustration for Superman, which causes his new power to activate once again, bringing Metallo crashing into the fortress. And while Superman reels from the kryptonite radiation, he notices that this Metallo sounds just like the atomic skull he fought earlier that day. Also, while he feels the kryptonite, it doesn't seem to be affecting Supergirl all that much, which is the last thing he's rem he remembers before passing out. When he comes to... Supergirl is almost as confused as Superman, and not only does she not remember Metallo attacking, all evidence of him being there is also gone. 
And while Mixia's Pitalik's presence does explain some things, it brings up even more questions, such as why he's using other villains instead of going up against Superman himself. So he thanks Supergirl and heads back to Metropolis, but he's getting frustrated again over not being able to figure out what Mixie is up to, which creates another one of his enemies to deal with. In the city, Superman visits Lana at the hospital, showing up just as Lois does, and his new power sends her into another little out-of-character tantrum before Lana can even say anything in the scene. At all. The wall opens up, and Bizarro flies in. But this time, instead of talking in Bizarro speak, he's speaking normally, and sounds just like the Atomic Skull and Metallo did earlier. But while they're fighting, Bizarro actually points out that the voice he's using isn't his, which is kind of obvious, and helps Superman realize that it's actually Superman's voice, and this whole thing is all related to his mind, which is the missing link Superman needs to figure out how he's creating these problems and how he was able to cancel it when he was at peace. The battle heads to space, where Superman uses a little of his own Torchasm Vo to get rid of Bizarro. Meanwhile, back in Pipkis, yeah, I can't put those two words together. Back in Pipkis, Mixias Pedelec is about to cause more headaches when Grab and Squeeze stops him, making sure that things run their natural course. So at this point, Superman's new power creates a meteorite that is speeding to Earth. But this time, no amount of Torchasm Vo is working, and this is when the meteor hits him on that splash page at the beginning. So Superman starts chasing after the meteor, and it turns out that it's heading straight for Lois's apartment getting there first, Superman and Lois apologize for the way they've been acting lately, and kiss, which brings Superman the, some much-needed peace and causes the meteorite to disappear. At this point, Mixias Pitalik shows up and removes Superman's new powers, saying he's actually glad that the Man of Steel won, since it kept Earth from being destroyed. Unfortunately, Grab and Squeeze grabs Mixias Pitalik before you can say kill Tipsy Zim, and promises that he's going to be washing dishes for the next 90 years. With that all said and done, Superman decides that he's going to go ahead and let Supergirl take his place at that ceremony in Candor, but invites Lois to go with him as just another tourist. And after packing, they head north, faxing weekend in Candor. And that was a long story, but after a couple of promos, I don't know what I'm saying because we don't do the promos until after we talk about our notes. <laughs> 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 you have to forgive Charlie, folks. He's new at this. Yeah, I haven't. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this is only my third show. I'm really recording this out of order. Well, Mike, I'll yes. let you start off with the notes. Do you have any notes, such as maybe for the cover? Yes. Cool. Shut what do you up got? and take my money. <laughs> I mean, the Atomic Skull and Bizarro and Master Jailer, the only things they could add to this, the only, well, the only Bronze Age items... They could add to this that would make it more appealing is is Terra Man and maybe Vartox. <laughs> I mean, seriously, oh. this is an awesome cover. Oh, can you imagine hairy chest Vartox? Mm. Oh, that'd be cool. I'd rather not, but well, it'd be cool for the cover though. Yes, I I, I just love these villains and seeing them all together on the cover. Just... <sighs> it is classic. They even use the old Superman logo. Yes, very seventies. I love it. And the DC bullet, the old DC bullet. Oh, yeah. I mean, they, they really went out of their way to make 
this looks more seventies. But even even the font they use for retroactive looks very yeah. Like like late seventies, early eighties future right <laughs> type, which is actually very dated now. If that makes any sense. I think it was dated when it came out. Probably thereafter. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I see what you mean. I have to agree with you on the cover. It's it's very awesome. Bizarro even has his number one plaque yes. hanging from his chest. The only thing missing, I think, is the giant... I guess it wasn't really giant at that point, but but it still had it pretty prominently, the Comics Code seal. Yes, that would have been cool. But they weren't... The DC. They, I think the Comics Code had been completely abolished by this point. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think it had been gone, what, like, not long after Infinite Crisis, or right around Infinite Crisis, or sometime in there, yeah. Yeah, some, yeah, yeah. This is definitely, it's definitely a. Well, it's not even modern. It's Eduardo Barreto, so he's very much making this look like a classic comic. The only thing I think is missing is a background. Yeah, kind of been nice rather than just a, a gradient color, but yeah. Although, like we mentioned off mic, the thing to keep in mind is that. This is Eduardo Barreto's final work. Yes. Professionally, anyway, um, prior to his death. And for whatever reason, and I, and like I said to Mike, I don't know if this is all, all because of whatever was, uh, was wrong with him near the end of his life, or maybe it's poor inking. Although the cover does look a little bit better than the inside. But still, uh, the art, it's not his best art. No. The inside is just very uneven. Yes. From, and we'll from talk. Page to page, but. We'll, we'll probably talk about that more, but it, right. it's definitely see. Yeah. It, it's not his best work. And, and when it's actually kind of interesting that they did this, because Barreto didn't actually start working on Superman until the 80s. Mm-hmm. But I started thinking about who was drawing Superman during the 70s. Well, Kurt Swan has passed away. Right. Uh, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name, is uh, busy, I'm sure, with licensing things. And that's pretty much it. Neil Adams. Yeah, because he's cheap. Well, he was. Oh, uh, he was busy. Yeah, he was busy on the Batman Odyssey thing. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. So. Which I've never read. No, me either. I haven't heard any good any good things about it. So I'm not really that interested in it. And the arts, his art isn't as hasn't been as good lately as it used to be either. But you know he's getting older. What are you going to do? Right. Uh, and um, let's see who else. Maybe Joe Staten did might have a little bit, but uh, he was actually I think not only is he currently working on Dick Tracy, he might have done one of the other retroactive books. Didn't he do the? Did um, he? Did the he Green do Lantern the one? Yeah, I was going to say I think he did the Green Lantern one yeah. with uh, Lynn Wein. Yes. Which you guys talked about on Green Lantern's Light. Yes, we did. Yes, yes, because we pointed out that Len Wein and, and Joe Staten were both uh, – they both worked on the, the character in that era, but not together. Because Dave Gibbons did – he was the artist for Len Wein's run. And then when uh, the next writer came on, that's when Joe Staten came on the book. So. Oh, cool. Interesting. Yeah, I, I don't think Pasco ever worked with Barreto either now that you mention it. Not on, not during his run on Superman. No, definitely not. No. In fact, I want to say that um, re- is well. I'm sure that there were others, but the one of the few times that they actually got a full creative team 
was the 90s well the 90s books are a little easier but the 90s books because i know ron mars and daryl banks worked on the green lantern one right. and uh Louise Simonson and John Bogdanov worked on the Superman one, and both of those were actual creative teams on those characters in the 90s. So that makes sense. But anyway. I'm not sure Barreto even really ever did much Superman work, did he? He didn't do a lot, but he did do several issues in the 80s. Okay. Uh, I want it, it wasn't s- like an extended run, though. No, 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 no. He, I mean, it was several consecutive issues, but it wasn't okay. like a huge run of... Or anything. It was, um, I, I want to say, I'm trying to remember when it happened. I want to say it was, um, we're talking like 84, maybe, okay. like 84 parts of 85. Okay. You know, like basically, uh, he, he was one of the artists that they brought on for a little while when it was already written on the wall that the, that the Superman stories were getting canceled. Right. For a post crisis reboot or post-crisis change. And so they were just kind of biding their time until the crisis ended. Right. I think he, that's when he came on. So the, the, and the stories weren't all that great either. But anyway, that's if we have all that to say with the cover, imagine what we're going to talk about on the inside, folks. <laughs> so. <laughs> Settle in, folks. It's going to be a long one. Uh, now, on the first page, and this is a purely artistic thing I'm looking at. Beside the fact that they colored the top of Superman's boot to, uh, boots yellow, mm-hmm. this is one of the fir- few times, especially modern comics, that you will see a space background w- where they're not usually like more realistic looking space. Right. This doesn't look like the, he's he's got the dots for the stars, but they're huge. Mm-hmm. And a couple of them even look like they have zipatone shading on them. Which is weird. Okay. Just trust me on that. Okay. <laughs> uh, so what is your next note page? Page two. Oh, okay, cool. What you got? My my note started started out entirely geeky because I, I just pointed out that Van Z was here. They don't reference him as Nightwing, but it was still good to see him. Yes, 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 yes. And he's also, isn't he um, basically like Superman's twin? I'm trying to remember. <laughs> Think yes, the, maybe. The, ah, I hate it when I forget things like that. I think Van Z is uh, supposed to be like his lookalike. I'm going to say don't. yes and no, and you can just edit in whichever answer is <laughs> correct. <laughs> okay, uh, that'll work. That'll work. Um, uh, they do mention the Torquasm vote. That didn't. Yeah. I don't believe that came until the 90s, right? See, like I was the ask King you of the that. World. It was. It was odd to see that because I thought that was a post-crisis concept too, and I was going to ask you if that was something that had been introduced in the Bronze Age, and I was just unaware of it. I I haven't come across it. I believe that that was in, uh, introduced during the Superman King of the World storyline, right? With the uh, Dominus. Yes, with Dominus and stuff, and they were they were learning about the Kryptonian meditation stuff, and Torquasmo was introduced there. I believe I'm almost a hundred percent certain of that, but. Since Marty Pasco's the historian that he is and has written that nice Superman book that tells you – the Superman Encyclopedia. Right. Then he would – I could totally see him using this as an opportunity to have it in the Bronze Age too. Right. Which is kind of cheating, but, you know, whatever. Well, it's, if, if not, it's a, it's a 
backwards homage to the future. <laughs> it's still celebrating the past, technically. Right. Just in a story that's further back in the past. Right. Yeah. I'll, we'll go with that. My only other note for this page is that I really like the last panel of Superman smashing Bizarro through the window. Yes. Now, this is not a knock against Kurt Swan, but this looks a lot better than some of the action he would have done. Not that he's not great. I love uh, this. Uh, this whole show. This whole show has been nothing but me saying how awesome Kurt Swan is for mm-hmm. the most part. But like he, he like had a lot his of, limitations when it came yes. to action. I will admit that. Yes, he did. And this is just a, the kind of panel that. He, he would not have drawn. He still would have shown us somehow Superman bust uh, knocking Bizarro through a window, but it wouldn't have looked quite this dynamic. No. Which is pretty cool considering uh, that Barreto was, you know, long in the tooth, I guess you could say by this point, but he was still bringing it. So it's really cool. Right. Uh, let's see. Now, I want to bring up something else. Some of the coloring. Do you have... Anything to say about the coloring? Because I'm not a huge fan of it. Um, it's it's modern coloring rather yes. than what what you would have seen in 1970. Let's just say five. I don't know. Yeah. But I think I think for when the book was published, it's fine. It just doesn't fit the era they're trying to uh, pay tribute to. Yeah, especially when you have the classic tail in the back that's all flat. Right. Yeah. Yep. I think if they would have recolored that with the modern coloring, it might have blended a little more. Or if they could have just left but, the new stuff flat. Right. I mean, it, especially, especially when you got this, you know, uh, classic artist. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, I mean, it might look a little more "quote unquote" realistic, but it just kind of, to me, it kind of gives it a. Not a dark tone, but a, a weird tone to it that really t- takes you out of the whole Bronze Age feel that you're supposed yeah, to be. It does. Now, do I wish that the comics ha- could have been colored like this in the 70s and seen what, seen some of Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, Bracebee's name's work, or Kurt Swan or Neil Adams's work looking like this? Although Neil Adams' work has been reprinted to look with some of this kind of coloring. But yes, I wish that the, that they maybe they could have had this kind of coloring in the 70s, but but they didn't. And uh, and the fact that you can actually uh, color and print comics to actually look like those old dot matrix printings from back in the day, mm-hmm. it, it's just like, I, I wish they could have done some of that. <laughs> you know, give it that classic, a little more of that classic feel. Yeah. At least for the 70s ones. Although it might come off looking unfinished if they did that, too. Because like when I when I see like the Bronze Age stories, like the Neil Adams stories, or um, there's a reprinting somewhere of whatever happened in the Man of Tomorrow that's been recolored with the more modern techniques, you know, it uh-huh. it, it just looks odd to me because you're not used to seeing that style of art with the modern color techniques. And I wonder if seeing this more modern art with the old school coloring wouldn't have the same problem. Yeah, you got a good point. The other thing, too, is just the clarity of the artwork, which also throws it off. Yeah. Uh, because, obviously, they weren't able to reproduce the artwork quite as well back in the day. So, the art was 
The paper stock actually, was different. And... The paper stock was different. The art was actually created based on how it would look when it was printed. Right. So there wasn't as much detail until like John Byrne and George Perez came on the scene. Uh, so you wouldn't have noticed some of the detail stuff in the background, but now that we've got all this nice printing quality, that would probably messed it up too. Right. But anyway, that completely changed the subject. Um, it's your I, Yeah, what the heck. I've only done this a couple times, so I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, where's your next note? Page three, which is really kind of a an overall comment, I guess. Okay. You want me to go ahead with it? Sure. Okay. Uh, page three, and, and I have this note here, but it's really more of an overall comment. Um, this I, I put it here because this page is what put the question in my mind, but does this fit specifically like in a certain spot in Pasco's run or after it, or is it more like the uh, the Green Lantern book that we looked at over on Green Lantern's Light and that it really didn't fit anywhere? You know, I was hoping it actually, when I read this, I was really hoping it would have fit in, especially with Bizarro and then going after the Mount Olympus stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, this seems like a uh, a shortly after Pasco finished his run okay. type of story. Uh, it doesn't fit in anywhere during his run. Uh, definitely could fit in afterwards. Okay. I don't. I don't know um, much of what happened with Master Jailer after he was introduced by Pasco. But as for everything else, it does fit in pretty well, actually. If you looked at it as the next issue after his final one. Okay, well, that's fair. And it does. I mean, we're looking at the villains that he created basically or recreated during his run. So it makes sense that he picks these particular ones, right? but, uh, and he's got the Mount Olympus thing. So basically, yeah. And, and the fact that he, I think he said that he actually reread his run to get a feel of, to kind of bring back the, his style and everything that of how he wrote back then. Mm-hmm. So I can totally, I can see uh, out of all the people that may have, worked on these you would think that this one has the best fit but there's no specific spot okay if that makes any sense that makes perfect sense now the only thing i find funny is the fact that thanks to skull the impenetrable uh prison was was busted out of (laughs) yep kind of sad. it's even floating still but i guess it's not all that awesome (sighs) anyway I do like that they basically. But it's Mr. Kept, Jailer. Well, I know, but they miscolored his comic, his, his costume. Yeah, and they did the same thing, and we'll get to it later. But with the Atomic Skull, when he shows up, his costume is miscolored. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. But maybe that was just I, you know with the like we were talking about the coloring, with the more modern coloring, they were just trying to make it pop more. I don't know. Or he just didn't do enough research. Yeah, that that could be too. One or the other. But it's, it's right on the cover. Yeah, I know. Although well, it's a different colorist. It's okay. a different colorist. The colorist on the cover is Alan. Alan, that oh, guy. That's right. And that's the. Alagua. That's right. Oh, now you can say it. <laughs> I'm stumbling all over the place, and you couldn't say it earlier. <laughs> right here, boom. Anyway, and Andrew Elder colored it on the inside. So okay, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Um, 
So, yeah, that was my note. I think my next note is page four. Now, despite all the criticisms I've had, I have for the art in this issue, Lois looks pretty good throughout. Yes. She looks very pretty. And this one panel right in the middle of Superman with his one eye open, that's actually a really good Superman right there. Pretty good. Yeah. I mean, it's just his head, but still, it looks nice. Yeah. Like I said, it's it's just... It's just very uneven throughout yeah. because yeah. you know you turn one page and we have a ridiculous looking Superman. So. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. yeah. But uh, and Supergirl in hot pants. Oh yes, I love this costume so much. And not, I like it too. Not because I mean obviously because of the hot pants, but not just because of the hot <laughs> pants. Yeah. It's just my favorite of the myriad of Supergirl costumes that she wore throughout right. the years. Yeah, it's it's. <laughs> how do I want to put this? I like the, the the hot pants not because it of any way it makes her look, but just because they are part of this costume. Right. Yes, and she's got the frilly sleeves. And it's nice to see that back. Uh, and you know that Superman is a little out of it because he didn't even notice the Supergirl was there. Right. Uh, the next page, we get a different look for the WGBS building. I didn't notice that, but you're right. It's it's it, the, the the G symbol has changed and there's no WGBS. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but there's your uh, Superman that looks a little off. What is what's going on in that panel? Well, apparently his neck has been elongated and and, and broken. Mm-hmm. Is what happened. You know, in my notes, I blamed the inker for ruining uh-huh. the art in this book. I even wrote that. Uh, these two pages show how the inking ruined the art in this book. You know, mm-hmm. I, but I just wonder if maybe. Uh, Barreto was ill. I'm not sure why he passed away, if he was sick or natural yep. causes, but um, I just wonder if he wasn't sick during this time and maybe just you know, didn't get as far on some of the pages before he just had to stop. Yeah, I, I'm, I was wondering the same thing. I would like to see the pencils. Mm-hmm. Maybe, and I know that's never going to happen, but I would like to I wish I could see the pencils to see how his how it looked before the anchor came on. Yeah, because it's possible this was just like a thumbnail thing. Yeah, the layouts throughout the entire book are fine; they're dynamic oh, and yeah. keep the story moving. It's just the details that uh, mm-hmm. kind of fall apart. Now, I do have to say that this image right here on the third panel of Master Jailer blasting stuff is almost directly ripped from Superman three thirty. No, three thirty one. Three thirty one. Um, where Master Jailer is standing there blasting at L- Lana's apartment trying to get her. Cool. It's, very, it's almost, a very dynamic panel. Yes, it is. It's almost exactly the same. Uh, the, his, and who, who penciled that original issue? Kurt <laughs> Who penciled? Who penciled? <laughs> uh, Kurt Swan. There you go. Yeah. Uh, but, of course, by the fourth panel, Lana's – apparently the explosion has caused Lana's buttons to come undone on her on her blouse. Yeah. I have a comment and, about Lana in, in a page or two, so we will come it, back to that. Yeah. And, 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 and she's not wearing any support because it's the 70s. She was – you know, you don't – women didn't do that in the 70s, I guess. Um, anyway, moving right along, uh, did you have any other notes for that page? Uh, no. Page six, though, I did. Page six. It's kind of long-winded ones, so. Oh, good. I like long-winded ones. Page six. Is that the the next page? Because I've it doesn't yeah, have numbers. No page numbers on this stupid comic book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think if they're gonna go retro, they can at least put page number. I mean, I understand why they don't do it today, but if they're gonna go retroactive, 
give us cage. Yeah, put it in the corner. And you know what? It would have been cool is occasionally to have that little thing. Story continues after the third page yes. follows. Whatever. Oh, that yeah. would have been yeah, nice. Yeah. <sighs> That's the little things. Uh, uh, but is that the next page? <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, well, since yours is long-winded, let me get mine out of the way real quick. Uh, is that I like they ha- that they've started that they put the editor's notes back in here. One to give it the feel, and two to con- to explain things that uh, haven't been seen or touched upon in thirty years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also like that. Superman immediately gets rid of those power pack things from Master Jailer, so it pretty much takes him out of the fight. Right. Uh, he never, of course, the only other story I've read is the, his first appearance, and Superman didn't know about it, so they had a nice long little fight. So this was nice to see that Superman learned his lesson. <laughs> yep. All right. Now, what is yours? Well, I, I just found it interesting, and I don't know exactly what Pasco was going for here, but Superman. In the, uh, I guess it's the third panel, he references a quote that is, um, it's it's from F. Scott, it's, uh, from an F. Scott Fitzgerald manuscript, and I heard them talk about this quote on an NPR thing a while back, but it shows up in a couple different places in the manuscripts, and, and the context is different, so there's some question about what Fitzgerald actually meant, but you know, just looking at it on the surface here, one criticism you see leveled against superhero books or characters like Superman is that they're constantly stuck in the second act. And, and I think you can make an argument that a lot of them are stuck in the first act, but still, you know, that, that's the first thing that popped into my mind. But more to what the original quote might have been getting at, um, and again, there's the context thing, but I, I think he was basically ruminating on the question of, you know, can you go home again? Or, you know, once your original quote-unquote glory days, so to speak, are over, can you reclaim that previous glory? Which kind of is what these retroactive specials were were doing. You know, they're, they're pulling out the past and dusting it off and, and just revisiting it for a while. So maybe it was just a random quote to fill the scene. I, I don't know, but I just thought it was interesting nonetheless. I totally didn't notice it. Very nicely done. But yeah, I, I completely see what you're saying. That's really cool. And it, and it very well could be a case of me way overthinking something simple <laughs> as I tend to do, but nah, nah. I'm sure I'm sure that's exactly what he meant to do. You know, he's he's Pasco is has matured in the 30 years since he was writing 34, 5, 35, 34 years since he was writing for Superman. So I'm sure he he he'd find a way to slip something like that in there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is kind of. It's just a little meta, if that's what he yeah. was going at. So yeah, yeah. it's kind of cool. Uh, the next page. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, okay. Before we get into the Lana stuff, <laughs> did you notice that Julie Schwartz is on the second panel? I did not notice that that was Julie Schwartz, but you're right. No, I'm not 100 percent sure that that is Julie Schwartz, but he's the only coworker that you see. Somewhat clearly, and he's got a big nose, and he's bald. Who isn't Jimmy? Yes, exactly. So he looks like Julie Schwartz to me. Yeah. And, you know, he was the editor in the 70s, so that would fit. He was editing – he edited – yeah, he edited Pasco's run, obviously. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Hence the 70s. Right. Uh, (laughs) um, But, yeah, Lana is a little – Ample? Yeah. Yeah, she's kind of falling out of that shirt. Yeah, 
I don't remember this look for Lana in the Bronze Age or any version for that matter. Uh, you know, though, the same thing can be said for Lois. The, neither one of them wore outfits quite like this. They were very covered up. Yeah. Granted, I'm sure part of that was the comics code. And part of that just might have been either Kurt Swan or, uh, for that matter, Julie Schwartz's style. Right. Um, but at least Lois, you know, this Lois that we see here would have been at home in the late 80s, 90s, or even today. This Lana does not – I mean, she's she, – like you said, she's fallen out of that shirt there. And that, yeah. That's just not Lana, so – she acts the way she did in the 70s, which I wasn't fond of then anyway, either. But the look is just wrong. Yeah. Now, maybe you could say that the it was the explosion, but we, we, don't, we don't know because we really don't see Lana before the attack. Right. So it's hard to tell. But yes, not a fan of the look. And Lois... <sighs> The writing, I think, on Lois here is, is, um, I guess she's every bit as spazzy as she was in the Bronze Age. Um, but she, she's dressing down Superman pretty hard here. And then just a few pages later, sorry, over on page, uh, whatever page it is, again, no page numbers, <laughs> she, she has like an, a 180 degree change of heart seemingly out of nowhere. Well, which, <laughs> now, if you notice, they do kind of explain that in the story. You think it was Superman causing her to act? Yes, that's if you uh, when they do do the flashback to the scene after they explain Superman's mental problem, he's got the green fire stuff going on in his head. That tells me that he that his power is doing that whole manifestation thing, and instead of um, creating one of his enemies. Uh, it's a danger to himself, which is why, which is part of the reason why he's got to apologize with Lois at the end to save her from the meteor. Okay. And when, uh, and when Lois does her 180 in the hospital room, his head glows again just as she turns around and leaves. Yeah. So I think it's a subtle clue that. That's why she seems to be written out of character. I had the same thing, which is kind of why I had that note when I was talking about the whole trust thing. But I, I left it in there because I thought it was kind of funny. Uh, but, yeah, when I got to the end of it, I was like, oh, okay. Maybe they do explain it. Hmm. Sure. Okay. I'm not sure I buy it 100%, but yeah, I'm, yeah. Willing, well, I'm willing to settle for that explanation. Yeah. Also, now... I don't know how many Bronze Age comics you've read, but I think it's you. (laughs) Thank you. But I'm pretty sure that in every Bronze Age story I have ever read, Jimmy Olsen has been wearing a green suit. And his shirt is generally yellow. Now, count that. You know, you could say that that is uh, just bad 70s fashion. You could say that that's just the uh, limitations of the coloring back then. But no matter how you put it, and here he's wearing a blue suit with a pink shirt. Yeah. Which uh, does not – well, for one thing, it doesn't look very 70s because the 70s were all about the orange and brown. But also it, it's just 
I know it's a little thing and I'm probably nitpicking, but I do a podcast and that's what we're supposed to do on a podcast. So I'm going to nitpick. And darn it, he's not wearing the right kind of colors. Right. And, and I don't want to keep bagging on the art, but I think that's really probably my biggest overall problem with the book is that the writing feels like maybe not a lost script from 1978 or whatever, but uh-huh. like they were trying to evoke that. But the art does not give that feeling at all, either in no. the, uh, the the style of the, the, the artwork or the colors. I mean, you've got the, the basic designs of the villains, but other than that, it, it doesn't really even feel like they were trying. Yeah, when we uh, see I mean, the char- the backup characters, especially the ones that have completely changed since their original creation back in the 70s, mm-hmm. don't look very on-model for their 70s appearances at all. Like Lombard? Well, he doesn't look uh, like Lombard, Lombard. Lombard looks way off. Josh Coyle looks way off. Josh Coyle was basically uh, looked to be about the same age as... Clark and Lana and Lois and everybody else. Oh, wow, and here he looks like at, 55. And, and, yeah, and blonde. <laughs> and his problem was that he had an ulcer all the time. <laughs> this version, we don't get an ulcer, but he's, like you said, he's looks like he's in his late 50s, white hair. Um, I mean, it just doesn't look right. And then, like you said, Steve Lombard doesn't look like Steve Lombard at all. Right. So, I mean, he always is was like Try, wearing somewhat of the epitome of fashion and trying to hit on a lady. And he, here he's eating a chili dog and burping. <laughs> Which is funny. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. But it's 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 different. Yeah. Do you think they were trying to maybe split the difference between the 70s and you know, because if you go like straight, hardcore 70s, you run the risk of maybe alienating the, the the average reader today who would go pick this up. Yeah. But, well, you know, normally I would... Per, you know, if, if you're trying to pay uh, homage to, you know, the, the old stuff, I, yeah, I don't know. exactly. N- normally I would say that they wouldn't want to do that, but considering that this specifically was to pay tribute to the 70s, I would, I would have hoped that they would try to make it exactly like a, it was a lost issue from the 70s. Right. Now, obviously, they did do that with the coloring, the art. They do a very good job of making sure you don't see any guy's pants, so you can't tell if anyone's wearing bell bottoms. But, um, yeah, they just... <sighs> there's just some things they just could, didn't get right, and I don't know... Uh, who entirely would be to blame? Because um, I think by the, you know, I don't know how much of a presence Josh Coyle or Steve Lombard, because I know he had gotten fired from GBS before uh, Beretta would have been coming on. So I don't know how much he had with either of them. Also, the fact that it's been 30 years. <laughs> so maybe they didn't think anyone would pay that close of attention. Plus, the, and, I, and I don't know about you. But I, I, I personally have not had much of experience with any books but where Ben Abernathy was the editor. So it could also be his fault. He could may be. just may not have had you know gotten them the proper materials to for the art. Mm-hmm. Um, granted, like I said, uh, I guess Josh could be okay, but Steve has written differently than he ever was when he was in 
the book. Although to be fair, now that I think about it, Steve Lombard didn't play a huge role in the book when Marty Pasco was on it. And when he did, he wasn't his normal jockey self. He was pretty quiet and in the background. Okay. So as far as Pasco's run, if you completely ignore everything else, technically, I guess they're pretty close to right <laughs> uh, to what you would have seen in a Pasco story from back then. Mm. Okay. I, I don't know. But still, but, I, I, I don't know. It, 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 I see what you're saying, though. It's still, it, nothing about this feels quite right. Right. It, everything's just a little off. Uh, but like you said, that that next page, Lana or Lana Lois goes into full like <sighs> rhymes with sandwich mode, right? And to the point where they've even got uh, on one of the panels, they've even got her like the panel is in the shape of flames. Yes, which actually is really cool. Yeah, I did like the artistic touch on that. That is that was really cool. Uh, and yeah, and then they and she does have that big seventies purse. Mm-hmm. That's uh, like but, a suitcase. My goodness. <laughs> I know. And uh, on the next page, Marty uh, Marty Pasco, uh, Morgan Edge does make his one panel cameo. There you go. And he actually somewhat looks like he did in the uh, during the post-crisis era, not really looking much like the pre-crisis version at all. Uh, this one's a little more balding. <laughs> and that's really all I can tell you. He looks older and a little more balding in the you know, uh, you know pre-crisis. He... He was supposed to be older, but not this much older, and he had a very nice quaff. Yeah. And but, a huge cigarette. Yeah. Like, well, he, he's got he, one of those cigarette holders like the penguin. He uses. does. Yeah, he does. Oh, he okay. actually did it back in the day, too. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah, so that's all right. He just didn't whant as much. <laughs> exactly. Uh, where is your next note? Um, I had a brief comment on page 10 just to say, yay, footnotes. Ah. Because they reference uh, Superman 323 and 324, which I thought was interesting. Uh, you know, rep- having an editor's note to explain something like they did a few pages ago is one thing, but to actually reference an issue that at this point is, what, 30 years old? <laughs> yep. that, that was something else entirely. That is pretty cool. Um, the one more thing we were talking about Lo- uh, Lana's fashion. Mm-hmm. If you go back a page to the panel with Morgan Edge. I almost want to say that they forgot to draw Lois's skirt and it's, had to throw in some extra lines. It's a little uh, tight-fitting, isn't it? Yeah. Like, Especially like, the way those shadows are going. Wow. they've uh, She has got a heck of a wedgie going on. Uh, that poor woman. Woman problems, I guess. Yeah. I, I, you know, it, it must be a thing from the 70s. I don't remember that, but I wasn't alive in the 70s. Yeah. Uh, so then the next page. Um, does that Boram look like something out of a cartoon comic yeah. or maybe even a Golden Age Shazam? Uh, uh, don't say that. Golden Age Captain Marvel comic? Yes. Yeah, it, it looks a little out of place. Yeah. <laughs> like, that, that whole here, panel, let's homage this 90, the 30s. That whole panel, you compare that panel to, let's go back a few pages. Well, I can't reference page numbers again. But, you know, it it just looks entirely different. The style of art looks entirely different. Yeah. Yeah. It it's it starts looking looking very sketchy right around here. Yeah. It definitely and, looks like like they went straight from pen, from pencils and all he did was layouts, not full pencils. Right. 
And again, I apologize to the memory of Mr. Barreto because we really don't know what was going on. But at the same time, we got to call him as we see him. So yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's also about this point that the Superman S stops looking so much like the Superman S and more like a funky shape on his chest with a squiggle in it. <laughs> Two fish. Uh, not even that. <laughs> <laughs> Two sick uh, fish. Yeah, a, a fish and a flipper. Uh, I don't know what to call it. It's, uh, it starts looking bad after this. But here's your atomic skull. Yay! And he, his costume is off. Boo. First of all, it's supposed to be yellow, not light green. Right. Well, it's yellow on the next page. Well, kind of, they did fix of, it. Kind of. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> the skull agents didn't wear green either. No. And what is up with that image? Okay, back a page, back to Atomic Skull. That image of Albert Michaels, that is a What's sketch. On? What's going on there? It looks okay. like he's wearing a flight helmet. He's got, Okay, that helmet is attached to him, and it scans his brain. Because, as you know, if you've listened to previous episodes, uh, his brain creates those, has those, uh, what you call them, seizures and when he has the seizures is when he fires those brain bolt things okay that helmet registers when his brain's about to have a seizure and, and uses electroshock to prevent the uh seizure from happening okay fair enough fighting fire with fire i guess you could say which seems a little uh strange and unusual and kind of mean but whatever uh Regardless, that is a very sketchy-looking image there. Yes. And, Which uh, I'm kind yeah. of okay with in this particular instance because it's it's not um, something that's, that's presently happening. It's like a thought that he's he's having. Or it's a, a it's his yeah, or his visions checking in on him. Right. Either way. Either way, you know. Yeah. Okay. It's not like I'll, the previous panel where the skull is dropping out of the sh- out of the ship on his surfboard thing. Yeah, or the but, next page. Right. Ugh. The next page is kind of bad all the way through it. Yeah. You can see where what he was thinking, and it looks like it would have been nice <laughs> if either he had a chance to to finish it up, or the inker didn't screw it up, or the inker actually tried fixing it up somewhat instead of just penciling his, or inking the sketch. Right. But this is... Uh, I am not at all familiar with uh, this inker and anything else he's done, so it's, it's hard to say. Yeah, I'm not either, unfortunately. Uh, now, the next page is a little better. Yeah. But uh, again, I don't this, know. <laughs> well, it's better until all the Skull Agents show up. Yeah. Now, the Skull Agent costumes are supposed to be gray. Right. And here they are green. Yeah. Which, they don't look bad, green. No, no. It's just also, not right. Also, um, in my readings, I don't recall them ever having these skull hoverboards. So that's new. Cool. Yeah. Mm. If, you, if you say so. Okay. Of course, of course, these are all figments of Superman's ah, imagination. Okay. So maybe Good he's point. imagining that we're not imagining, but maybe his funky mixoplick power is making them different than they actually are. Did you just say Mitzelplik? Whatever. Super Whatever. friends. <laughs> that is the problem with super friends. No, I'm just kidding. 
I usually say mix is piddly, but sometimes it's just easier to say mix with plick. So there you go. That's why I just use mixy. Yeah. That's fun too. Now, although, okay. Uh, although, as we will get into, I may start calling him Pitlick. <laughs> that 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 is cool. I like that. Um, now, okay, the final panel of the page where you see Josh Coyle and Lois Lane. Yes, they look sketchy, but we'll say that that's because he's using his supervision to check or telescopic and X-ray vision to check him on. Right. Now, the way Josh is holding his hand. It looks like that would normally be where you would see him taking uh, medicine for his ulcer. I was going to say popping a Tic Tac. Yeah. Yeah. But without a caption and because the art actually looks kind of poor and his his hands look like, uh, I don't know, Charlie Brown's hand, uh, you really can't tell. He's just really, really bored. He's yawning. Another (laughs) supervillain attack. He's like, oh, oh, it's really you. You can't leave, really. We can't have you leave. Please. Uh, but it is interesting. It took me a few times to read through here and figure out what was going on here because I thought Josh was about to follow his death through the elevator. Yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> but it turns out the elevator just showed up and the door opened so he falls back. I'm wondering if there wasn't some kind of art mistake there where – Maybe the script changed or something, and he was supposed to fall down the shaft and didn't. It's just really weird because you don't usually see that kind of stumbling in a comic book. No. <laughs> I mean, live action, maybe. You yeah, know, for, a, for a, a laugh. comedic beat or something or a character quirk, but not in a comic book. Yeah. And also on the final panel, uh, first of all, that does not look like Eduardo Barreto's Superman at all. No. Even especially the S. Yeah, uh, that is not even fish. That's just a couple blobs. <laughs> and if you look at the GBS building, it doesn't even look like it did a couple pages earlier. For one thing, the giant G is yellow instead of orange, and it looks completely different, <laughs> other than the fact that it is in the shape of a G. Yeah. So, I'm thinking that's more inker. Yeah. In fact, I would imagine that this whole, whole page, because Lois doesn't even look as good. I'm wondering if that is a page that Pareto couldn't get to or didn't get to or... Could be. I, what? I don't know. Something's going on I, with the art. Yeah. The, see, the other thing is, too, is I don't... I guess I could look that up. I don't know the exact... Well, we also don't know the exact days that he was working on this book, either. It could have been he just didn't have time because he had to go to the doctor. Right. I mean, he died. He died in December, and this book came out in uh, August or September. Uh, July. July. Okay. So, you know, we're we're figuring the last six months of his life, and I don't know. Again, I don't know uh, what caused him to pass away when he did, if he was sick or what. But anyway. Anyway. Well, you could even even if it wasn't that, you can still chalk it up because he was not exactly young. Right. Even by this point. Right. Uh, anyway, so let's keep moving on then. Uh, the next page is back to Barretto art. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And, for, and it, for, for at least one page. Yeah, it, it doesn't look too terrible, but it does look a little... Uh, anyway, I don't... I, yeah, we shouldn't focus. I do like the uh, design for Grab and Squeeze, though. Yeah. He actually looks kind of Kirby-ish. You think? 
Well, it's a poor man's imitation of Kirby, but it's, it's they kind of Kirby ish. He's even got his own Kirby dots on his forehead. Okay. So I was, I don't know, it kind of, I mean, it's got the no nose and the big funky teeth thing that Kirby liked to do. Yeah. Big, eye, big eyebrow. Even the screen he's watching in the background has Kirby dots on it. It's the old Kirby dot channel. <laughs> well, the ninth dimension, everything's Kirby ish. I like it. The ninth dimensional land of Pipkis. You know, when, when uh, I was reading this, you see, like, when they have uh, Mixia's Pitalic stories, they um, often have these names that are just consonants strung together. So I, you just get used to not really reading them, uh-huh. trying to pronounce them. So when I read this, I didn't even try to pronounce that that's Bubkiss or Grab and Squeeze. <laughs> Yeah, I normally it totally is. <laughs> I, I normally wouldn't have, if and, I, and I'm sure when I've read it before, it was just Grubensnugas, right? And uh, uh, yeah, and, and but then I'm like, you know, I've got to re- say, talk about this on the <laughs> on a recording yeah. where people are going to hear me. It's like creator credits. <laughs> you read yeah. them. You read them when you read the book, but you don't pronounce them really until yeah, exactly. you have to do a podcast about them, and then you end uh, up with. Whatever we had to be in the show. So. Gosh. <laughs> well, it's like, uh, who's that Legion villain? C- Computo? No, 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 no. The flat. Okay, that Flash villain uh, that Wally had to go up against, like Kilgore. Oh right, but with like the at the, symbol. Yeah. Yeah, the O is like a, the at symbol or the right. percentage symbol or something, and it's like you're not supposed to say it out loud. Right. Because in my mind, you get idiots <laughs> like when, us. When that is said out loud, it just sounds like a modem squawk. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But, or, right. uh, which is that's more of a parrot getting killed, but still, you know <laughs> what I meant. Uh, anyway, we're in Bipkiss now, and once we get so to the next, we're in deep Bipkiss. <laughs> once, once we get to the next page, the art changes again, and I don't think that this is Beretto. No. Um, Maybe the layout, for, for whatever layout, reason, but yeah, th- there's yeah. That does because, I mean, granted, it's different characters, and I don't know what his version of Mixius Pitalik looks like, but this just the way the ink's done and stuff. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't it doesn't look the same. But it doesn't look all that great either. <laughs> I just noticed something that made me very upset, but we'll get to oh. that in a few pages. Sorry, I was jumping ahead. Oh, okay, okay, it's fine. Um, also, also, we noticed that Grab and Squeeze drools a lot. Yes. He he's basically a combination of Jabba the Hutt and that um big giant alien from the main man episodes of Superman the animated series. Oh uh, yeah. Spits all over everybody. You know that one? In my notes, it's interesting you'd say Jabba the Hutt. In my in my notes I called him I said he looks like the love child of Jabba the Hutt and Slimer from the Ghostbusters. There, yeah, that's awesome. Yes, I see that. Uh he also oh, what was that? I don't remember what that guy's name was, like Spitz or something. Uh, yeah, I don't remember. Uh, but yeah, you know, okay, as long as you know who I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. Totally, it kind of looks like that, too. The only difference is there's no logo. Right. Uh, and just to clarify something I said earlier, um, Grab and Squeeze, whenever he talks to Mr. Mixus Pitlick, he calls him Pitlick. Yes. Pitlick. <laughs> so. <laughs> He's kind of, he kind of talks like, the way they have it written, it, it, it's almost um, Bebo-ish. Bebo! 
Yeah, Pippo. But he's like, you said things were going your way right before you lost the last three bets we made, Pitlick. <laughs> and I'm sorry, I'm no Michael Bailey, so I'm not very good at the Bibbo type of talk. But this waitress looks kind of like Frankenstein's monster. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, that's kind of weird. Um, they are watching the Failure Channel. Made <laughs> me laugh. <laughs> yes, chronicling. And next up is a special profile of Mixius Pitlick of Zerf. Chronicling his, which is another fun one to say, chronicling his many years of trying to, in vain, to humiliate Superman of Earth tonight here on the Failure Channel. Right. That's awesome. Hmm. Uh, and then the next page, you can almost tell really easily now that it's definitely still not Barreto. Yeah. But um, it does explain some things, which was actually helpful because it makes a lot of the stuff that we had talked about feeling out of place kind of makes it makes sense right sort of i i don't like the idea that mixius pitlick can just willy-nilly give superman new powers but if we're trying to evoke the bronze age i can see that as being something they would have done in the bronze age or in silver yes. age for that matter to be honest yes yes and um something i, I don't know how often mixius or mixy well mixius pitlick uh did much betting back in those days but I know, like, especially right but shortly before Infinite Crisis, both in the Superman-Batman book, plus over in the Emperor-Joker story, right. uh, Mixie was very good at be, placing bets and stuff. So this kind of fits in with that more than Bronze Age Mixie. Right. Although he does still have... That derby looks terrible, too. Good mm. night. Mix just doesn't... He doesn't look good at all in this book. Anyway. No, I... Uh, this, this page... Okay, say Barreto didn't do the artwork on this. Neither did anyone else. This. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, oh. but this is. It, uh, if someone got paid for this, <laughs> they got lucky. <laughs> Even I, I have seen could... worse art in a Superman book. I will say that. But yeah, mm-hmm. it's pretty terrible. Uh, but the next page. Oh, hang on, I got another oh, comment oh, about this oh, page. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. An actual serious comment. Um, oh. I think the idea here is pretty brilliant. Basically, Mix is preying on the fact that Superman puts a lot of pressure on himself, which is something they never really put a lot of focus on in the 70s as a matter of you know right. driving the character. But but I think it was always there under the surface. And he does yeah. this to kind of push him farther and farther down into the spiral. And I, that's something that's very relatable. You know, I I, I have known someone who puts a lot of pressure on himself and it it he, he he pressures himself to be the best and then people respect and admire him for it because he's pretty good at what he does but the the pressure that he puts on himself really does create as many problems as it solves which you know none of that's obviously caused by a fifth dimensional imp but the <laughs> the, the idea that the pasco presents here is basically the exaggerated comic book version of something that's that's very real and i really dig that dig that yeah it 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 actually is something that you probably wouldn't have touched on in a Superman book back then. Right. This is definitely some something. Well, other than the imp thing, uh, this is definitely like a Spider-Man type thing, or because he's very hard on himself and other characters whose mm-hmm. names escape me at the moment. But yeah, you also notice that. Um, well, I don't know why. Uh, the top two panels on that page. Does it look like there's like that first panel looks kind of ripped on one end? Yeah. 
I don't um, know if that's coloring or they got hungry and yeah, know, yeah. weird. I don't know. Anyway, okay. So the next page. Now this is the only time page we see Clark on, mm-hmm. which actually is very fitting for the Bronze Age because he often didn't show up for more than one page. Um, except for in the uh, the Private Life of Clark Kent feature. Yes, true. Now, sorry. Oh, now I've got to find that music. Okay, now, Mike, what color is the suit he's wearing here? It appears to be brown, Alex. Yes, thank you. Uh, what color suit does Clark normally wear during the 70s? That would be blue. Thank you very because much. Because as we all learned in the issue you covered just a couple months ago, the blue helps to hypnotize people into thinking that... <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, it's more of the glasses, but yes, well, the blue the, is part of it. Yeah. Yes, the blue, all his suits turn blue because of the... Uh, the chemicals he used, he treats uses to treat them so that they don't burn off when right. he's moving at super speed. Even though he has suits that he purposely burns off at super speed. <laughs> um, uh, in fact, I just realized that I forgot to mention a couple episodes ago. Dang it! Oh well. Anyway, if this, is, this if this is Clark's dressing room, he's not only wearing a brown suit, but he's got five or four <laughs> hanging on the. Uh, yeah. Hmm. Tons of brown suits. Maybe it's maybe it's Steve's dressing room, and I mean, why else would Steve be there? That could be, or Morgan Edges, because Morgan right. Morgan wore a lot of brown suits. Yeah, Lombard's uh, not really a suit kind of guy. No, no, no. He's more of a turtleneck. Yeah, kind of thing going on. Perry's suits were purple, so you can't go by him. <laughs> we don't get to see Perry in this at all. He's not in. I know. We see. That's I mean, Jimmy only gets a cameo. Right. Steve gets this one page. Josh gets several pages. Edge gets a panel. Perry doesn't show up at all. Hmm. Uh, and, and Lana only ever talks on one page. Yeah. Oh, maybe two. But the Master Jailer's there, which makes me happy. So Yay! Now, I, I will say this, though. The, uh, the him, uh, What he does to Steve is kind of funny. Uh, <laughs> kind of. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's interesting. It's almost like... Um, and Pasco did not do this ever, but it reminds me of some of the earlier 70s stuff where Schwartz required in every issue at least one page where Lombard would come in and pull some trick, and then right. by the end of the issue, or maybe even right there, Clark would get, get him back. It was a running gag that ran for several years in the Superman books, and here we kind of get that because Lombard's... I'm calling it a chili dog. It just looks like it's exploding with some kind of something. Well, he, the, what's his name? Josh. Uh-huh. What's his last name? I'm blanking. Coyle. Josh Coyle, right. He talks about uh, Lombard's shirt being covered in mustard stains. Good point. But maybe maybe Lombard puts mustard on his chili dog side. I- maybe, anyway. it's, maybe it's mustard. But look at the way it's flying around. <laughs> <laughs> Does it not look like the hot dog has exploded with mustard? <laughs> I mean, it's not just dripping yes. off. We're talking about like waves. There's a. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of hmm, a lot of inappropriate jokes that I'm not making. Right now. <laughs> Thank you. This is a family show. It is. Uh, anyway, uh, so now, granted, it looks inadvertent actually, but Lombard does drip whatever that stuff is onto Clark's script. And Clark gets mad at him and, and 
by the end of the panel or by the end of the page, Steve is no longer able to read the teleprompter in front of him. Right. Which, by the way, I'm not sure looked quite that modern back then. But I think the cameras are actually kind of close. I'm not sure. I was not on a news set in the 70s. I and was never, I did, I, d- despite rumors to the contrary, I was not part of a 70s TV show. So, <laughs> and, and I didn't pay enough attention to the uh, to the news cameras on Anchorman, so I don't remember. Yeah. It's just a shame, really. And if you're uh, looking for historical realism, I'm not sure if Anchorman is your best <laughs> place to go. No, well, they had cool hair, though. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, all right, so we go to the next page, and the fortress has a peak now. Yes, yes. And in the, back in the day... Ain't no did, mountain high enough. No, back in the day, it was a flat mountain. Hmm. Um... Well, that's disappointing. Yeah. Actually, though, uh, perhaps it depends on the reference, because I believe the Fortress Mountain looked like this uh, in All-Star Superman. And there's no giant key. It's not there, but it was in there on the first page. Was it? Yes. The the first page was the exploding... Okay, second page. Oh, second page. Second page. Yeah. Now, and look at the mountain. See how it's flatter? You know the difference? maybe, Maybe that's the back door. That's it. And what we're seeing here is actually the front door that he never uses. (laughs) You win the no prize. Excelsior. Yay. Uh, Wrong company. Actually, I think it's due to the artist. Yeah, it could be too. We have – we're not – Barreto's not penciling this anymore uh, by this point. Right. So, yeah, that could be a big problem. Supergirl's here. Supergirl is looking awesome with the choker. Mm-hmm. Now, she actually had that, so I'm not knocking it. It's just sometimes I forget that her cape was attached to a choker. <laughs> it's, a, it's a thing. Uh, she didn't have it tucked into her frilly brouse. Brouse? Because it has an R in it. Blouse. Uh, now, now, you also notice on the screens, uh, the Skull Agents, who are still wearing green, Right. Are now riding surfboards. <laughs> and I want to, I'm looking back <laughs> now. They're totally surfboards. And before they were riding skull shaped oh, boards. Right. So, oh, this is fun. Uh, basically, what we're saying here is that while the writing is pretty good, they did not put their best foot forward as far as anything else with the issue. No. Um, Unfortunately. It's a shame, really. I mean, at least at least they got the costumes somewhat accurate. Right. So I'm happy with that. And Supergirl's blonde, so they did get that right. Oh, oh, good job. Oh. You got the character's most distinguishing feature right. Good job. <laughs> Yay! It's like saying, hey, they gave Supergirl breasts. Well, come on. Uh, speaking of boobs, the next page... <laughs> I will I will give credit to the art here. We have a great shot of Metallo busting through the wall, much to the surprise of Superman and Supergirl. Yes. Yes, we do. And I'm not I – mean, and this isn't obviously a fault of the uh, the artist or the book, but I'm, I've never been a huge fan of this look for Metallo. Uh, no. But. It's – it's – um. No, I don't. It's well for one thing. It, it the I don't like the colors, no. but and you'd think a guy that likes the Atomic Skull and Master Jailer. I mean, look what they're sporting. But I know. 
But know. on the plus side, it looks like the colors are mostly right. Yes. Which is ironic, <laughs> considering they couldn't get the others correct. Uh, whatever. Um, but yeah, I'm not a huge fan of the this kind of look robot look. If you're going to do robot, do the uh, John Byrne version. Yeah. Personally. Or, you know, they changed it a little later, but make him look more like a robot instead of a guy wearing a metal mask. Right. Uh, let's see. I do like the effect, though. He's glowing green, and the kryptonite definitely has the glow. So I guess that's one bit of the nice, um, what you want to call it? Computer coloring. Computer, Computer coloring. coloring. Right. Yes, that, that does help. The only difference is that technically Superman should be turning green here. But on one hand, it is it is a, just a f- product of his imagination. And two... Um, Right, and he even they comments that, that Supergirl seems unaffected by it. So, yeah, good point. I'll just take that part out too. Yeah, that's um, <laughs> no, I'll probably leave it in there. Okay, so the next page. Now, first of all, check out that Superman S because which page are we on? Oh, the He's, next one. He said clearly have been paying attention. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, this again, is the next no page one. numbers. You can't blame me. Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm not. But uh, after he's wakened up. Awakened after he woke up. Oh, okay. Uh, the bottom two panels. Yeah. The bottom half looks fine. The top half is basically a square. <laughs> a line in a square. Yeah. He took that whole two fish thing and, like, killed it. Yeah. It. You know, it almost looks more the like... the bottom uh, really doesn't look that good. The bottom uh, third, the, the triangle down there at the bottom. The, the, he, the yellow triangle. The, he nailed that part. Yes, he got the yellow triangle at the bottom. The rest of it looks like a poor, a poor attempt at the Superman 1 million S yes. shield, which is yeah. just two circles. Yeah. Three, maybe. So, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, anyway. And in fairness, the, the Superman S is very difficult to draw, especially if you're not used to drawing it. Yes. But, because if, uh, you, if you... If you look at like when artists come onto the book, they often have a hard time drawing the S at the beginning, and then as yes. they get a few issues in, they're more used to it. And but that's neither here nor there. Yes, even Tom Grumman, who I think used to draw one of the best Superman S's, didn't have a great handle on it when he first started. Right. Uh, let's see. Uh, do you have any other notes on that page? No. My okay. next note isn't actually until. Uh, the hospital scene. Oh, okay. Well, the next page Although I wanted. I to... do have a note on the next page that I didn't write down. Oh, okay. What's that? Sorry. Well, no. Go ahead. Okay. Well, I do want to point out first of all that I like the subtle use of the fact that Superman did grab a, a flower from his super garden, mm-hmm. and that and that's I think the it flower. Was Black Mercy, because that would have been awkward. Oh, good lord, that would be terrible. Uh, but he's planning on taking that to. Uh, you know, Lana, which is cool because they don't mention it. He, he doesn't talk about the fact, excuse me, while I grab this flower out of the right. case here. But it, it's just a nice little subtle thing that they did. I like that. I, I noticed earlier when we were talking, um, Supergirl's costume is drawn incorrectly on this page. Oh, really? The third panel. Third panel. Oh, yeah, it's not. Right. It's actually more like the a full-up shirt. It's like it's, I think what happened is 
she traded shirts with Lana earlier in the issue. Ah, that's it. And yeah, yeah. Or Monel, you know, uh, during the whole uh, new Krypton storyline, it okay. Go they ahead. just got the kind of looked like that because he he had the full shirt and he had the little S symbol on his uh huh yeah on the side and that's kind of what that looks like because it's not now I, they only they didn't go too low but they did it was a pretty low cut shirt back in the day but it was still. What's the word? Respectable? That's not the right word. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, she wasn't like, you know... She wasn't falling out popping of it. Popping out, right. Right, right, right. But but this this is just way high neckline. Right. It doesn't... It actually doesn't look bad, but it is wrong. It's just... Yeah. And actually, the panel before above it, it, it looks more like she's wearing a very fitted, molded kind of skirt than hot pants. Mm-hmm. In that same panel... That statue behind them, is that a statue of Luthor? It looks like, I was just, I was actually going to mention that. It looks like Luthor in his purple and green jumpsuit tights from like his super friends outfit. I don't know who any of these other statues are supposed to be because there's not enough detail to them to tell that they're anything other than humanoid. Yeah. Sort of. I'm I'm not sure who they would be anyway. I'm not sure why Superman has a hall of villains. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah. Although, at one point in the Silver Age, he had a lock of Lex Luthor's hair in a case, which is super creepy. <laughs> had a little plaque below it. A lock of hair from Lex Luthor before he went bald. <laughs> super creepy. Yeah, that... Yeah. And see, and they think it's out of character for him to, like, kind of stalk Lois in Superman Returns. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we're not going to go there. Uh, so after they leave the fortress, I kind of like the little change they made to the uh, fortress keyhole. It's subtle because it used to just be the uh, the arrow, but now it's got a little mm-hmm. thing on the side. It, I mean, it's subtle. It doesn't really make a huge difference. It's not like I would say, oh, I'm not reading this anymore because they got the keyhole wrong. Uh, yeah. But then Bizarro shows up. Mm-hmm. Bizarro. <laughs> Oh, I contemplated trying to do something with that, but he didn't talk that way, so I was like, nah, I'm not going to worry yeah, about it. Yeah, unfortunately. I'm still trying to figure out my next it's, episode it's, because he does show up in my next episode, and uh, right. I don't have the kind of time to do it backwards like you did. <laughs> Sad uh, presentation of Bizarro, uh, but that's neither here nor there. I, I loved that episode, by the way. <laughs> when he did your Bizarro version. Yes. Holy crap, I had to keep pausing it because I was at work and I was laughing. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. <laughs> uh, okay. Anyway, though, let's uh, keep going. So he goes to the hospital, and on the next page, you had the note. What is wrong with Lana's face in that second panel? <laughs> I'm not like, sure. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Superman shows up. She looks like she's just waking up. Lois storms in. Superman looks... Equal parts annoyed, confused, and constipated. Then we get to the third <laughs> panel. Lois is storming out. Superman looks sad. <laughs> and Lana's like, how you doing? <laughs> What's up? Oh, hi. Yeah, she looks very happy about this turn of events. I'm not sure if, if Lois sprayed Joker venom on her or maybe the I, flower was like the little squirting flower the Joker had. I don't know. I don't know. 
And then the next panel, it looks like she's checking to make sure nothing got damaged when her shirt flew open as Bizarro flies in. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Hmm. Also, the uh, the green opening on the wall, it kind of made me think like Green Lantern. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's just because of the fact that they used green for this energy instead of some other color. But Right. Although, why is Lana reacting at all if Bizarro's appearance is all a manifestation of Superman? Well, no, it's um, the, these manifestations have been like uh, kind of bizarre, uh, not bizarre, uh, Mixius Pitalikish. Wow, that say that three times fast. That was fun. Oh, okay. They're there, but uh, then the, the effects go away after. Right, and then everyone forgets about it. Oh, okay. I think it actually said that in the book, didn't it? Never mind then. Yeah. That's all right. Um, but there's there's a there's a certain amount of both humor and logic to using Bizarro as the voice <laughs> of exposition in the book that I really liked. Uh, yeah. But it, it does it does make sense also because I mean he's the one closest to a mirror of Superman. Right. Yeah. Like I said, there's there's logic and humor to it. Yeah. It's interesting. And I hadn't even thought about it that deeply. I just thought it was interesting that of all the people. I'm just noticing something. The uh, next page. Mm-hmm. First of all, I don't know what it is, but that image of Superman flying in, granted the artwork doesn't look all that great, but when you add in the way they have the colors mm-hmm. with the sunlight coming in from the background, yeah, that looks pretty. Really cool. Yeah. The, the bright yellow and the bright red and the bright blue, that looks really cool. And it wouldn't have looked that good with the flat colors. No. So. so see, there's something to be said. Right. I don't know what it is, but something needs to be said. <laughs> um, the other thing I've noticed, though, and that is, uh, it, it makes sense for later versions of Bizarro, but not for the pre-crisis Bizarro. You'll notice his costume is purplish. Right. And they didn't do that in the pre-crisis. Right. That was a, in fact, I think that. The only time that actually happened in the comics would have been like the Bizarro's World story. Um, well, no, because then it went purple again when Bizarro number one returned after the Emperor Joker. Right. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, I'm 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 too post crisis here. Okay, so okay, this next to uh, no the third panel. Because of the way they have it colored, it's kind of hard to tell who's who. Well, that's because you, ins- you have to read the uh, thought balloons. Yes, and hope that they're coming from the right person. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, did you have any other notes for this page? No, my next note's not till over um, basically the last two pages. Oh, okay. Well, I just want to point out real quick uh, before we go to the next page that Mixie looks like he's about to thwip Spider-Man with some webbing. Mm-hmm. Which is always cool because it would have been flame webs, and you don't see that too much outside of a video game, really. Um, but then the next the next page kind of threw me because it starts off at the top. Superman sees something, and yes, it says in the caption that he spots a meteorite, but we don't see the meteorite. <laughs> and then the next panel, they don't even draw anything because it basically is what happened in the first page. Yeah. And then the next one, the meteorites already passed them. Mm. So it's kind of, eh? But, um, 
Yeah, I don't really have anything else to say about this page. Although Lois doesn't look too terrible on that bottom panel. Yeah, I wonder if these last few pages weren't more Barretto again. Mm, no. It doesn't look like it. Yeah. Looks like we've got more of whoever this other... Maybe well, more... I mean, his, guy. Like, like if he was just doing layouts, rough layouts, or something, maybe, maybe these particular layouts were a little tighter. Oh, okay. I got you. That I, makes I sense. That makes a lot of sense, though. Things seem a little bit slightly better, but still really sketchy. Right. All right, and now we're getting into the last two pages. So they say they're sorry, they kiss, they make up, everything's better. Mixie says Alec win win because he actually has magic words whenever Pasco writes them. Um, he's not just saying things backwards? No, no. Okay. Well, other than that means he's saying, Mao Mu Akala. Hmm. Whatever that means. I, I, I will think, point I think out. You just offended someone in Zimbabwe, <laughs> but probably for all my Zimbabwe listeners. Shoot, that whole contingent's probably gone now. <laughs> uh, I, I do want to point out, though, now that we're getting near the end of the story, that between this and the stories that I'm co- I covered in the la- fi- last uh, two episodes, you know, one twelve and one thirteen. Uh, this is one fourteen, right? Yeah, mixie uh, has been in all of those issues. Cool. So this has just been kind of crazy with, with all the Mixius Pitalik stuff lately. That's all I have to say about that. What are your notes? Well, the question here is, did the meteor disappear because Superman was able to calm himself by reconciling with Lois? Or did it disappear because Mixie took away Superman's telekinesis and therefore took away what created the meteor in the first place? Ooh. I'm pretty sure the idea is supposed to be the piece because it's well, right. But the way the it way is the hard to tell. Are, it's not necessarily clear that way. Yeah, because you can still see the fireball. Maybe it's dissipating, but you can still see the, the meteorite coming at them while they're kissing. And right. then the next panel, there's nothing, and you get the Alaka Wimwam. Right. Hmm. That's a good question. I wish I knew the answer to that one. Unfortunately, I do not. Shame on you. Well, I'm more Bronze Age, and this is this is a 2011 story. I, I oh, okay, I, fair enough. That's hey, that's... I, I I can't I can't you know get a good grasp on this kind of story. You know, yeah. had this been the 70s, I think it'd be pretty clear because they wouldn't have done this kind of story. Well, when you start your next podcast, Superman in the DC retroactive 70s. <laughs> that one is that one episode, right? This is the pilot. This is the pilot, <laughs> and you'll be my co-host. I like it. Yay! Coming soon to a podcast catcher near you. <laughs> oh, and an ending say soon that. after. Yes, yes, same day, same same <laughs> one. This is both the premiere but, but, and but the final episode. Please play our promo. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> For our full series, you can get it all in one download. Uh. Anyway, okay, so then the next page, I like how Mixie was actually going to try to get out of it. And I, and I was wondering this the whole time. I was like, dude, why don't you just say kill Tipsy's him and go back to go back home where Grab and Squeeze can't do, get you? But he doesn't, and he ends up getting both grabbed and squeezed yes. by Grab and Squeeze. <laughs> uh, uh, that was awesome. Uh, but that's... That, 
really all I've got on that. Yeah, my, it, it's my, a, only, my only note for this page was I wondered what happened to the final panel of the story where Lois died from hypothermia after flying through the Arctic <laughs> cold at super speed. But, yeah, see, he wraps her in his cape, which is great. From the waist down. But yeah, only the waist down. She's got to have her arms out. And, and she's and wearing that, this, thin, this thin shirt. It's like off the shoulder. And yeah, she'd yeah, be dead. She totally would be dead. Maybe this is, maybe this is movie physics. Where she can repeatedly go up there and not have any problems? Could be. That's it's possible. I mean, they, they go pretty fast up there. Yeah. Of course, of course, in, in one of the movies, someone that's not even Lois survives in space. Uh, I don't know. And of course, you notice, he's going to have to set Lois down on the ledge, and then fly back to get the key, unlock the door, <laughs> then fly, put the key away, and then fly back to get her and go inside. Pretty much. <laughs> He needs like a little doggy door or something. She can just <laughs> crawl through. Wow. Of course, that would kind of defeat the purpose of the giant key if if, yeah. if you have and a human-sized doggy door. Never mind. Not to mention, it kind of makes her his. No, nah, no, nah, that's not what I said. <laughs> that's not what I said. Well, doggy door. I said a human-sized doggy door. Mm. But that ends that story. Now the backup story, which is ironic because it is a Superman. The Bronze Age book, and it's got a backup story. We're covering that um, too, right? Yeah, you got a synopsis ready for it? <laughs> um, Superman takes a wife. The end. Yeah, there you go. Actually, no, because I, I actually covered this on an episode uh, last year with Billy Hogan. With Billy Hogan. Yes, Action Comics 484's Superman Takes a Wife is reprinted here in its entirety, minus the ads. Right. Drawn, uh, written by Carrie Bates, penciled by Kurt Swan, inked by Joe Gaiella, lettered by Ben Oda, colored by, oh, I think Tatiana, Tatiana Wood, and edited by Julie Schwartz. It, it's yes. a very good story, but a very odd choice for what is, you know, compared to the first story. Yeah. Given that it's the, the Earth 2 Superman, it's a completely different um, creative Cont- team Ooh. and. Yeah, no one. Yeah. Now, granted, there were not most of the Pasco stuff is multi it, multi part stories, but tech, to to be fair, that didn't stop him with a lot of the other retroactive backup features. Right. Uh, now, now the the big tool, or uh, I guess we could call it tool. One of the big features of all of the retroactive books, for those who don't know, is that you would have a, a brand new story set in that time frame by the uh, creative team from that era. And then they, it would reprint a backup story, sometimes by the same exact creative team or a story that might be related to what goes on in the news story or something uh, by at least one member of the creative team. Now, this one is different, obviously. Uh, sometimes you would have like the Batman in the eight, the 80s Batman book uh, had a story by – Mike W. Barr is the writer featuring the Reaper, that, which was a character he created. So the backup story of, also features uh, the Reaper in a story written by Mike W. Barr. But it's Batman Year One, Part One of Four, hmm. which is like, go buy the trade, folks. But anyway, that that I'm not trying to get into any of that. They just made some weird choices. They made quite a few weird choices, in my opinion, for some of the backup stories. This one's definitely one of them. Yeah. Granted, it is nice 
I mean, it's a great, it's a great story and a, and a classic yeah. Superman story. But it is. It's very. It's very nice. But I would think something like, oh, I don't know, the enlargement of crypt of Candor. Yeah. Although that's still not by Pasco. Um, well, this the there's the last few stories. The the heck Bizarro. Um, what story was that? Uh, the, I, I believe the first appearance of Master Jailer has yet to be reprinted. There's that. Although that is two parts, so that could throw people off. Can't win them all. Uh, yeah. Well, right after that two-parter is a bizarro story. There Written you go. By Pasco, penciled by Kurt Swan. That uh, would have been terrible. Exactly. See, so it would have been great. But no, they give us this. Not that it's bad, like we said, right. but it's just – it's not really indicative of 70s Superman, really. Right. But the only good thing thing about this is that it, it features a character. Sorry, does she? Yeah, she's actually, the, yeah, she, she's she the flower has, girl yeah. at the wedding. Yes, yes. Sorry, sorry, I forgot. Um, I'm not sure why but, I got so angry about that, but there you go. I don't know either, but dang, dude. Uh, I think the only I think the the thing is that he just somewhat recently died in, in Infinite Crisis. So oh. Jeez, yes. I thought you were talking about Kurt Swan. I'm like, what? Okay. Oh no 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 Carry no on. no no. Uh, but um, the Earth Two Superman and Lois actually mm-hmm. both had just recently passed away during the Infinite Crisis, so maybe that's why they did it. I don't know. Anyway, that's all we've got for the actual issue itself because. I can't find my print version to look at the ads, and uh, there's not really a whole bunch of ads to look at other than the fact that, uh, you know, New 52's coming. Yeah. Which we're actually going to uh, – yeah. Uh, but after a quick couple of promos <laughs> – excuse me. But after a quick couple of promos, we're going to take what seems to be about an hour, based on all the comics there are, uh, to look at the other books that came out this month from DC Comics. We'll be right back. Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. Hi, my name is Mike, and I like comic books. Okay, so what do you think about Ben Affleck being Batman? No, I said I like comic books. That's a movie, and I couldn't care less. Well, it's a comic book movie. Really? Did you go see the magazine movie? Or do you watch the television book? I like comic books. You know, those things make for paper, especially the old ones. Whoa, those things. Are they CGC 9.8? No, you're missing the point. I like to actually read comic books, especially the old ones. I like them so much, I even build a website to tell other people about them. Does it have any information about uh, Avengers 2? No, it has info about actual comic books. Lots of covers, creator credits, character appearance lists, story synopsis notes, and so much more. Hmm, that sounds interesting. Where can I find it? It's at mikesamazingworld.com. Do I have to read anything? Reading makes my brain hurt. You can just look at the pictures if you want. Or you can listen to my podcast, where I talk about the history of DC Comics, especially the old ones. So I can listen to a comic book podcast? It's a podcast about comic books. You can find it at twotruefreaks.com. What's it called? Mike's Amazing World of DC History. History? You mean like before Twitter? Yes, the world actually did exist long before Twitter. 
My show is for comic book fans, especially the old ones. So check out Mike's Amazing World of Comics, the website, and listen to Mike's Amazing World of DC History, the podcast, for information and fun related to actual comic books, especially the old ones. Look, up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's supermanhomepage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. Supermanhomepage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. Supermanhomepage.com, for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the man. Man of Steel and more. SupermanHomePage.com. We now return to Superman and the Bronze Age. Okay, and we're back. We're jumping in Rip Hunter's time machine at Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics. And we're flashing back to September, well, cover dated September 2011, to look at the books that were on the shelves just at the cusp. Is that the right word? Of right before New Fifty Two started, so we're at right at the end right at of. The end. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up! <laughs> uh, right at the end of the uh, pre New Fifty Two, I guess. The end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. Me too. Uh, so we started off with Adventure Comics number five twenty eight. You know what? Uh, you know with- what the problem with this issue is. I was What's reading that? Adventure Comics at this point. I wasn't really enjoying it. I stopped reading with 527, thinking, you know, I'm not going to keep reading this. Uh, and then, like, a month later, they say, okay, we're canceling the book, two issues later. I'm like, gosh darn it. So I had to go track down uh, 528 and 529 in the back issue bin to not have an awkward two-issue hole in my collection. <laughs> well, what's even worse is they, the, the Legion didn't really do much of a reboot. Right. So, but I wasn't really enjoying it at this point anyway, because they were doing this like Legion Academy type of thing, and it uh, wasn't very good. But I went and bought those two issues. I found them in a back issue bin just to finish out the run. Are they but any nicer? I haven't read them yet. <laughs> well, at least you got them. Yeah, they're Thank they're good. they're in the pile of books I will read once I get caught up with my like current books, which I'm way I, behind on. But <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm with you there. I am so far behind on books. Yeah. Sometimes it feels like if it wasn't for podcasting, I wouldn't read any comics at all. Exactly. Good Lord. Uh, but looking at this, it appears that Triplicate Girl is is in trouble. Mm-hmm. So I'm guessing Although this I one focuses was, on her. I think she was duo, uh, Duplicate Girl. Yeah, because one of them was dead at this point. So she's oh. Duplicate Girl. Well, there's, well, crud, there's like four of them in the issue right here on the cover. Well, whatever. The issue's wrong. <laughs> okay. So she's duplicate Paul, Paul girl. Levis, what's he know about the Legion? Come on. Yeah, he he only worked on it for like a couple issues. Yeah. Uh, it also has apparently a Justice League story in it also called We Are the Champions. So they were singing Queen. Uh, Batman and Robin number 25. I think, I think that was one of those like promotional ad- uh, advertising commercial things that looks uh, like a comic book. I hate those. Yeah. But anyway, Batman and Robin number 25 had a variant cover. So there's two versions of it here. And both of them involve Batman, Dick Grayson, Robin, and Robin, Damian Wayne, 
Jason the, Todd. The boy wonder. Not this know. Robin. Oh, okay. Uh, going up against Jason Todd, a.k.a. the Red Hood, with his guns of doom. Guns of doom. <laughs> the Red Guns of Doom. Red That's- Guns of Doom. <laughs> that would be a good movie title. The Red Guns of Doom. <laughs> Coming soon to a theater near you. In a world where Guns of Doom are red. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Batman Beyond number seven, uh, which looks like Terry's been beat up pretty good with a hand-shaped hole in his mask, which is weird. And a big nose. You know, you're right, because there's a backup feature in this featuring the Justice League called We Are the Champions, Mm. which I believe they sang the Queen song on. Which is I'm not going to sing it. Thank you. Sorry. I sing it Uh, on my show. (laughs) Yes. And some people listen anyway. Mm. Uh, let's see. Now, the Superman, just, DC Comics, deaf ones. That's okay. <laughs> yes, you're deaf listeners. Yes. Uh, DC Comics presents Superman number four has four Superman stories that are reprinted, uh, including the cover story, which is a Chuck Dixon Pasquale fairy story featuring Nightwing showing up in Metropolis, which is actually a good story. Yeah, I remember reading that one. And then has a couple, uh, like three other stories by Joe Kelly. One has Captain Marvel in it, no, and the other. Uh, oh, that's that's a bad issue. Yes. Bad. Yeah. And then Kith and Ken, which is a two-part story. Uh, but 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 Can- Kano Kano does the art on that one, and it's much better. But it looks prettier. Yeah. I like his art better than Duncan Ruggiero. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I don't know the name. Uh, DC Universe Online Legends was a not very well liked uh, book written by Mar- Marv Wolfman, and it had issue eleven came out this month. Haven't read it. That's all I have to oh, say I know, about. I know Jeffrey Taylor gave it terrible reviews over the oh, Superman he, homepage. Yeah, he was never a fan of it. No, ever, ever. ever. <laughs> But, you know, with Marv Wolfman and looking at some of the artists, you'd think it would do a little bit better, but but whatever, I don't know. I think there was another, and I'm not going to look it up, but I think there was another writer that took over later in the run. Oh, yeah, that'll do it. Like a nosedive, but again, I've not read it, so. Plus, it's based on a video game, and what are you going to do? Although that Injustice, Gods Among Us, has been doing pretty good as far as comics, and it's based on a video game. It's... That's actually a, a decent read. I don't like what they've done with Superman in it, but if you can get past that, it's actually a, a an interesting read. Huh. So I'm kind of conflicted on that, but but I read I it have, every month. I haven't really had a chance to read it yet. Do you read the, the print or the... Yeah, you I get, get the print the... versions, yeah. Ah, uh, okay. I, I don't have a device to read comics on other than my phone, which is really small, so... You should get a tablet. Yeah, I know. You and should get money to buy a tablet, and then... Buy some stuff. <laughs> and then I will buy some of my stuff. I'll sell it to you for at a discount. And then you, you can use, then I'll use that money to buy you a tablet. Think about it. Okay. So that makes no point, does it? No. Flashpoint number three. So see, we're, we're this close. Uh, Project Superman is revealed where you think it's going to be some awesome guy and it's a skinny kid who actually looks. Well, he's got about my muscle tone. I got a little bit of a cut, but still. Anyway, you Flashpoint. You are Superman of the Flashpoint universe, aren't you? That, that's 
close. I, I can't. Alert. Can't. Yeah. Spoiler alert. I can't fly yet, but I'm working on it. Uh, and then it had two variant covers. Wow. One is the penciled version of the main cover, and the other variant is a Aquaman cover. Aquaman, King of the Seven Seas. Ba 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 ba. Of another flashpoint, Abensor the Green Lantern number two, where it looks like uh, Sinestro is about to, you know, blast him through the head with a Green Lantern beam. That's how it looks to me. Uh, I haven't uh, read any of the Flashpoint books. No. I, I've read the main miniseries. I haven't read the tie-ins yet. Uh, Flashpoint Batman Night of Vengeance number two, which has a happy-looking skull. Can you guess what it's supposed to mean? Me neither. Secret Seven number two, which is also Flashpoint. I really should like have read these probably before I. Yeah. You're right. Anyway. Uh, did I say Secret Seven? I already said Secret It does have a George Perez cover. That's all right. So that's cool. And look at all the faces at the bottom with the red eyes. It's actually really nifty. Uh, but uh, Flashpoint, the world of Flashpoint number two. Uh, let's see, Gotham's... They got trades on here too? Shoot. Gotham Central, Jokers and Madman trade paperback, which is a, a, a trade featuring several issues of Gotham Central by Ed Brubaker, Greg Ruck. Uh, and Michael Lark, which I haven't had a chance to read much of yet, but I've heard nothing but good stuff about it. Same here. So, and as a Monkees fan, I like the fact that one of the stories is called Daydreams and Believers. Cool. Eh? Get it? Get it? I, I see what they did there, yes. Dream believe. yeah. Uh, Green Arrow Into the Woods hardcover features some of the brightest day issues of Green Arrow. It's not a superhero book, but I'm going to mention it because it's a milestone. Looney Tunes hits 200 issues. Whoa. Now, I remember having some of the first issues of this book thanks to these big packs I got from Sam's Club. This would have been 94. Not only did Looney Tunes get to 200 issues, but it's still going and did I not. They get... canceled it. No. No, I think they canceled it, didn't they? Oh, well, uh, it did. All I know is it was. Maybe it, I'm it, wrong. This was not the final issue, 200 was not. Whatever. And it did not get rebooted with the new 52. <laughs> uh, so for a while, it was the longest running <laughs> book that DC was publishing, technically. Actually, I just I just looked it up, and it pains me to say this. Aww. Charlie was right. They, oh, yeah. They, they have not canceled Looney Tunes. Woohoo! Because That's issue number 220 is slated for August. See? I don't think there will probably be another issue or two solicited by the time you're hearing this. So, so apparently they skipped a couple months, or they don't do it monthly anymore. If 200 was in September of 2011, and it's been two and a half, they should be past that by now. Yeah, it might be bi-monthly. I, yeah. I don't know. Who knows? Anyway, it's still going, coming out. I, I don't know if it's any good, but it's still there. Secret Six number 35, and Bane looks like he's. Throwing up some venom. Yummy. Kind of gross. It does make me a little thirsty. Uh, super. <laughs> just kidding. Superboy number nine. Uh, what? He's about to be attacked by pitchforks yeah. and farmers. But you know. Whatever. I didn't read this series when it came out, but I recently. Well, not recently, but at some point, I bought the entire thing on eBay, and at some point in the future, I will sit down and read it because I've heard good things. I have not heard anything but good things about it. 
and people were very upset about the fact that it was going away with the reboot. Especially since they uh, they had, what, a couple issues by Jeff Johns and then Jeff Lemire? No, Jeff Lemire launched it, didn't he? Yes. Uh, there was a Superboy feature in Adventure Comics That's where Jeff, by Jeff Johns, and then yeah. they launched The Ongoing, which was by Jeff Lemire. And Yeah, well, I've heard a lot of good stuff about it. It's a shame. Yeah. Uh, Titans Annual Number 1, which uh, at this point was basically featuring a bunch of the Titans villains grouped together. Right. After they killed the Adam. The, uh, what's his name? Ryan Choi. Yes, after they killed him. Which is sad. But this, in this issue, they go up against the JLA, which features the Dick Grayson version of Robin and Jade and. It's like all the second, I hate to say second tier heroes, but like the, uh, the legacy heroes, I guess. Well, they couldn't use the main ones because Batman was dead. Uh, Superman was grounded, and Wonder Woman was. <laughs> that sounds had, like he, had to, he had to sit in his room and think about what he did. And uh, Wonder Woman was wearing a jacket. Yeah, all new Batman: Brave and the Bold. Nine has Batman series. teaming up with Hawkman. Kaka! Oh wait, wrong character. No, that that's Black Hawk. Right. And. Batgirl number twenty three. It's the it's the Stephanie Brown. That's what I was trying to say. Stephanie Brown story uh, era of Batgirl. So I've heard nothing but good stuff about that. Yay! <laughs> and then the Batman Bruce Wayne the Road Home hardcover. So I guess Bruce Wayne's back. So he's not dead. Well, never mind then. Uh, Birds of Prey number fourteen. They're fighting Nazis. Oh, well, there's that. Oh, this must be like Golden Age. Hey, Black Lady Blackhawk. Caca! Uh, You're welcome. Is that what the, the female Blackhawk sounds like? Oh, well, it's just Blackhawk. Oh, okay. Uh, I don't know these things. Uh, Blackest Night got some trades this month. The main feature, the main story got a trade. The Green Lantern books got a trade. And the Green Lantern core books got a trade booster gold number 46 is a flashpoint tie-in issue because booster was the only one that really tied in with flashpoint and features doomsday doomsday yeah doomsday doomsday Doomsday. yeah dc comics presents batman gotham noir number one with a very noir cover by sean phillips yeah buddy looks cool might read that sometime. That's I've re- Baker. Yes, I, I've I've got a copy of it. it doesn't look bad. Um, Skeleton Key is the title of the story in Detective Comics number eight seventy nine, which is by Scott Snyder before he became the writer of the main Batman book, and he did some interesting things with the Dick Grayson Batman and, of course, Jim Grayson, Jim Grayson, Jim Gordon's son, <laughs> which I believe is James. Now that I think about it. Anyway, uh, Citizen Cold number two is a Flashpoint book. Uh, so is Deathstroke and the Curse of the Ravager number two. And Emperor Hawkman number... I can't read. Emperor Aquaman number two, which uh, appears to be the issue in which uh, Mera died. That's why she's headless on the cover, I guess. 
Well, I think she's headless because they just ran out of room. But <laughs> that's um, kind of what it looks like. Yeah, but yeah, it appears she is dead. And it, it, I did watch the movie, and and she dies in that. So I'm guessing mm-hmm. this is right about when that happened. Spoilers if you haven't read that. Haven't read um, it. Haven't seen it. So spoilers. Sorry. Uh, Frankenstein and the Creatures of the Unknown, number two. Red Robin, number twenty-five. Now I haven't heard much about it, but I know that it sure did look pretty. Red Robin did. Who is the artist on it? Marcus Toe. Not familiar with him. He's not bad. It's, it's pretty good art. It's got it does the cover too, if that looks any good. But he goes up against uh, the Black Bat, which is actually what Cassandra Kane. Cassandra Kane after she previously was previously Batgirl. Well, apparently, you're correct. Um, yes, previously Batgirl, and now not anymore. Superman seven thirteen, which I have no idea what happens here, but it. It also got a... Superman keeps walking. Yeah, he's grounded still. Part 11, so it's almost over. But uh, it, it got a variant cover because they thought you'd want to buy it. Yeah. For some reason. But it's uh, by Jeff Smith. I kind of like Jeff Smith. Yeah, the Jeff Smith... Back, yeah, it's not bad. There's someone... Uh, so, you know, yeah. Speaking of people who can't draw the Superman S... <laughs> um, That's the first time he ever drew the character, I think. Oh, actually, no, not him. John Cassidy. Oh. Who drew the main cover? Yeah. He's not very good with it either. What's wrong with that? That's what? actually one of his better ones. Oh, okay. Because his little yeah. thing at the top, but other than that, it looks all right. It's, it's, it's actually one of his better ones. I guess we could say Thunder Agents number nine is a superhero book, but I didn't read it. But Dynamo dies, apparently. His belt still works, even though he's a skeleton. Um, that looks a lot like a uh, JLA cover from... I want to say like 2002-ish, maybe. It was when Joe Kelly was on the book, I think. But it was Superman, a Superman skeleton. Oh, didn't? Yeah, about? I think I know what you're talking about. Didn't it also? Didn't it also have like a Batman skeleton and some of maybe. the other skeleton forms too? They were just. Yeah. I, I think I know what you're talking about, but yeah, it does remind me of that. Good I'm, point. I'm trying to find it right now, but I'm, it's not popping up. Well, while you're looking, we're just going to keep going. A new Titan is born in Teen Titans number 97, which, if I remember correctly, went like bi-monthly or no, 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 bi-weekly because they were trying to get to 100 issues before the reboot. Okay. Yes. And they did it. Oh, Teen Titans? Yes. Yeah, yes. they doubled up. Yeah. So they did it, but they had to really push them out. Yeah. That uh, was another book I dropped because it aw. right at the end there. Yeah. Did you have to go back and get them? I will at some point. There's there's more issues of that that I'm missing because I dropped it earlier. But had I uh, known one, they were going to just reboot everything, I would have kept on. One hundred might be one hundred might be tough to get. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Um. But keep uh, keep going. It looks like uh, the War of the Green Lanterns aftermath came out, including its variant cover. Yes, aftermath. Batman number seven twelve has. The Dick Grayson Batman versus Two Face, Batman Gates of Gotham number three, also had variants. Uh, Blackest Night, Black Lantern Corps Volume One and Volume Two both came out this month. All sorts of black. You get the whole saga in trade paperback. Exactly. Uh, DC Comics presents The Metal Men number one, which has several, several Metal Men stories, including one. 
um, where they team up with Batman. Woohoo! And the great Gotham switcheroo. Is that by Bob Haney? Oh, uh, probably. It sounds like it. It is. Bob Haney, Kevin yep. McGuire. Oh, it's, that's uh, from the Silver Age event. Oh, really? I've read that. Yeah, that was. We had to pull that out at some point and reread it. That's another. That was another time they tried to do this retro thing. Mm-hmm. It didn't work quite as well. well. It was. It was a different approach to it, though. Too. Well, it's also kind of this. This one seemed like they were trying more to actually fit it into those specific eras. Right. And it was. And the Silver Age was more of trying to get that feel with a modern, keep it somewhat modern. Right. Yeah. It was, so it's kind of. That was kind of interesting. Uh, Batman Retroactive. Let's see. Let's try this again. DC Retroactive, Batman the 70s, Flash the 70s, Wonder Woman the 70s also came out this month. Wonder Woman's in her white outfit because she didn't have her powers anymore. Mm -hmm. Batman is in a story, I believe, by... And if you want to talk about art that does not fit the era, Uh pick up the Wonder Woman book. Who does the art in that? Jay Bone, who is I no. like, I like, but yeah, it's not at all like the art from. He'd be more the era, so. golden age, maybe. Yeah. Wow, that's a cartoony that's a, golden age, but yeah. But anyway. Well, that that's what that's the way the art was back then. In the Flash book, the backup story is a Bronze Age classic, Superman versus the Flash, from DC Ooh. Comics presents number one. No, which is a two. Which is a part it's, of a two-part story. DC Comics Presents number two. Uh, okay. Which, again, which was part of a two-part story. Yep. And was written by... Martin Pasco. Martin Pasco. I will point out that that issue was also covered on Russell Bragg's The DC Comics Presents Show, yep. episode number two, uh, which is awesome. So the, art, the team on the Flash book was Carrie Bates, who wrote The Flash... Basically, all the way through the 70s, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, with art by Benito Gallego, who I do not believe was on The Flash. No. Maybe ever. And in fact, according to Mike's, this is his first and only credit for DC or any of the publishers that he lists so far. So, well, well done. Good to him. Good for him. But who, who, the... who was on The Flash in the 70s? Was it Carmine uh, it was like, Infantino? Uh, I don't think he was really on, but they had like Irv Novik. Oh, was one of them. See, the problem is that so many of those '70s artists are gone now. Yeah, I know that's so. the thing. Well, yeah, I think that's part of the reason why they went with Eduardo Barreto for the Superman one was because most of them are either unavailable or right. passed away, sadly. Yeah. And really, the only reason—excuse me—the only reason there's so many writers around is because DC was bringing in a lot of young quote-unquote hip writers at that point. Carrie Bates and uh, Jim Shooter and Denny O'Neill were all teenagers. So. Yes. Especially Jim Shooter. He was yeah. like 13 when... Well, of course, he started in the 60s, but still. Well, still. He was 13 when yeah. he started. But yeah, they were all like in their 20s and stuff, and most of the artists had been on the, had been actually working in the books since they were, I don't know, since the golden age. So a right. little older. My dog is going nuts. I'll be right out, buddy. He misses me. Okay. Ah, <laughs> oh, it's sweet. He likes it. He likes me. And then the Batman one is drawn by Tom Mandrake, who was more of eighty early eighties, but and Lynn Wein was more of a 
Well, I guess late seventies, early eighties too. Yeah, Lynn Wein does the backup stories. So. Yeah. Anyway, so moving right along, let's see if we can get this bubby finished. Dum, bubby dum, footloose oh. and fancy. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Um, DC Universe Online Legends number twelve came out with a cover. With a cover that appears to have been done by Howard Porter. That's Ed Benet's. That's Ed Benet's again. Yep. Well, no, it's not. <laughs> it says it is, but that is Howard Porter. Oh, I'm just going by Mike's. I don't know. Yeah. Mike, Mike, Mike. Are you sure oh. it's Howard Porter? Yeah, because if you want Ed Benet's, Ed Benet's did the cover to number 11, and it looks super, right. his Superman is much different than that. That looks like a Howard Porter Superman to me. Oh, okay. Anyway, who knows? Other than, you know, Ed and Howard. And whoever paid them. Uh, Firestorm, the nuclear man got a trade paperback cover of collecting all of volume one of Firestorm in one it, one book. And before you think that that's a lot, I think that was, what, five or six issues? Unfortunately. Yeah, it wasn't very much. No. he. Uh, it, there are some backups and stuff in that as well. Yes. Firestorm was, was, a, was the victim of the DC implosion. Right. Well, he wasn't part of the explosion, a victim of the implosion. Yeah. But was, this book it was also five issues, by the way. But Superman okay. does appear, so of course. But uh, so he's got five issues plus he's got a whole bunch of backup stories because he was a backup feature in Flash for a while. Some of which were drawn by George Perez mm-hmm. in his first DC art, which is cool. Uh, Flashpoint, Dead Man and the Flying Graysons, number two, The Legion of Doom, number two, The Outsider, number two, and Wonder Woman and the Furies, number two, all came out. Uh, Green Lantern Corps 62 had, uh, not only came out, but had a variant cover, because it's Green Lantern related. The Jack Kirby Omnibus starring Green Arrow, volume one, came out. Uh, Justice League of America, number 59, came out and also had a variant cover. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were eclipsed. Let's get it because of a it's eclipse, though. <laughs> and and another on the list of titles Michael dropped when he should have just stuck around for another year and finished out the run. Oh, j- oh you dropped that not, too. Not that he's bitter or anything. No, no, you don't sound like it. Not at all. Yeah, I dropped that. Let's see. Right after, uh, see, I read the Brightest Day tie-ins, and then I think I dropped it like around. Issue 48 or 49, somewhere in there. Oh, that's a bad time. Because the first arc I didn't read was the crime syndicate syndicate arc. Oh, okay. Okay. Which is weird because I like the crime syndicate, but... (laughs) I think I I, I left after, what's his name? Um, Brad Meltzer when he left. Oh, well, that was a long time before. Yeah. Well, I, I had to do some drastic cutting back yeah. due to finances and stuff. Yeah. Uh, Legion of Superheroes number 15, False Victory. It's Legion versus Legion. I'm sure it's great. I, I'm sorry. I just have not read most of these. Uh, then there, I, there's a, it, the first... I think I read this for the first six issues or so. I'm trying to think. I, don't, I read it for a little bit, but not for very long. Okay. Anyway. Was it good? Obviously not, if I dropped it. <laughs> oh, it's worth a shot. Uh, Power Girl number 26. Uh, it's the first annual Power Girl convention, which has an interesting cover. Mm-hmm. Can you guess which one is the real Power Girl? Probably not the short one. No, I don't think it's her. No. Or the slightly fluffier one. Yeah. 
Yeah. This was a title I read for the first 12 issues because that yeah. was Jimmy Palmiotti and Justin Gray and Amanda Connor. And then that I was dropped good it after stuff. that because they started tying it into uh, what was that Justice League miniseries they had? Oh, Justice League Generations. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Which is part of the Brightest Day thing. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I didn't read it after that. but uh, The f- Trial of the Flash. Trial of which- the Flash. Sorry. <laughs> That's the one. Uh, was collected in a showcase ed- edition. Parts uh, of it. They didn't collect it oh, all. Oh, well, they should have. Uh, 24 stories of it, uh, which is pretty tall if you ask me. Uh, page count is 592 pages for 20 bucks. Thick volume. Yeah. Black and white. And as Michael Bailey would say, it's pure Carmine Infantino drawing with a straight edge. Uh, Spirit number 16 came out this month. Uh, I remember that being good when Darwin Cook was on it. I didn't read it too much after he left, unfortunately. I didn't read any of that. Pulp. We passed up Doc Savage earlier. Um, I didn't oh, read any, sorry. Of, any of that. Well, that's fine. I didn't read any of the pulp stuff. Yeah. Um, Supergirl number 66. This is not my life part two, which is supposed to, apparently was a, it's actually not a bad story. Uh, but, uh, was, many people overlooked it because it's the last little storyline of, of Supergirl before the reboot. Right. So, yeah. Which is unfortunate. Um. Yeah, that's one of those books that I think really got the short end of the stick on the reboot because I think Kelly Sue Duconic had, had she went on to do more than what, what'd she do? Like three issues? Four issues? Something like that. Like that. Yeah. Three issues. She could have actually brought that title back to life, but. Anyway, it's a, it's sad. So many things that were just starting to <laughs> pick up steam as they did the reboot. Yeah. Um, Batman and Superman number eighty six. Will you ever ca- you will you ever cover that on your show? You know, I haven't decided how to cover a lot of the post crisis stuff because a lot of the post crisis stuff is multiple store or multiple issues and i like to cover oh uh, yeah good episode so heck this right here is part two yeah but if i mean i i will cover some post-crisis stuff at some point in fact i have um plans to cover some later on this year but i i don't know this this particular storyline isn't high on the list i will say that much <laughs> gotcha uh now there is a cool hardcover trade paperback tales of the batman by gene colon cool which reprints 14 of his stories in full color. For $40. Eesh. Well, you could probably get it in stock trades for a little cheaper. Probably. Tiny Titans, number 42. Yay! Which has young bizarros in love. It's another good title. Yeah. Even if you don't have kids. Right. Uh, uh, speaking of Titans, Titans, number 37. Mad Hatter's in it. Uh, <laughs> next up... <laughs> I got nothing. <laughs> yeah, I don't either. Young Justice number six, which is the tie-in book to the Young Justice cartoon. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. I like that. I've, I've read the whole series. It was yep. pretty good. It was. All the way through. Uh, Zatanna number 15. She does that's magic. Nice, that's a nice cover. That is a nice cover. Who does that cover? Adam that Hughes. is Adam Hughes. Of course it's a nice cover. They cover up his more f- famous part of his artwork with the word Zatanna, though. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Yeah. The interior is uh, by Jamal uh, Igel too, so... So it probably is pretty good. Yeah. Uh, Return of the Doomsdays. 
continues in Action Comics number 903 with a Kenneth Rockefort cover. Pre-1952. Pre wow. Pre-New 52. And, and there's a, a variant cover for that. Also, mm-hmm. showcasing basically steel against... And it's awesome. Uh-oh. Also by Dennis Cohen, who or Denny's... Cohen, who, who did a, did the art on the it was like the final main artist on Steel's on own ongoing comic, right. so that makes sense that they would do that. It is also awesome, by the way. That looks pretty awesome. Yeah, except for the Steel Doomsday part, but the, the rest of it. Well, yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, Batman Arkham City number four, which of course ties into the video game. Take it as you will. Batman: The Dark Knight number four. Uh, which also has a variant cover. And that's by, uh, what's his name? David Finch. I think he got, this is probably the last issue he got out before, uh, you know, the reboot. And I think in that last year. Oh, uh, there were five? Yeah. Okay. But there were only five, and he worked on it for like a year. <laughs> okay. Uh, Batman, The Streets of Gotham, The House of Hush. Tra- uh, hardcover came out. Uh, blackest night, more blackest night trades. Good lord, full of those. It was a very big crossover. Oh yeah, which but I read like, in its entirety. In even the, the giants. Issues. Oh, see, I read it later. I mean, but it was just it wasn't, the, just it wasn't the main a, and, It's not one of those things I considered I wasted my money on because I enjoyed the majority of it. I guess. Well, that's good, and you yeah. got all the science too, right? Yep. Oh, every well, single, hey. every single one of them. <laughs> well, I'm glad you don't feel like you wasted it because that's a lot of tie-ins. Man. Yeah. Uh, Brightest Day Aftermath: The Search for Swamp Thing, number two. Now, I read that, but I didn't. I, I will just say I borrowed someone's copy, <laughs> and that I'm glad I didn't pay for it because that was the biggest waste. Yeah, that part was. That's like so a. Great, it was but... like a two or three issue miniseries, I think, featuring John Constantine, mm-hmm. and nothing is settled by the end. It just right kind of stops. So yeah, that was pointless. And then it's all rebooted, so it's never yeah, finished. So they don't ever. worry about it ever. Yeah. <sighs> uh, but uh, DC Comics presents Shazam number one. Actually, reprints several issues from the Power of Shazam series by Jerry Ordway. Whoop. Yeah, check that out. Uh, let's see. DC Retroactive Green Lantern, the 70s. DC, D- DC, DC Retroactive JLA, the 70s. Both came out this month. The Green Lantern one also features Green Arrow in a story by Denny O'Neill and Mike Grell. Wow. Who I believe also... No, they didn't do the backup story. The backup story, of course, is the oft-reprinted... And usually annoying. Uh, no evil shall escape my sight by Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams, because you know. Is that the what? F- it, Sorry, what? I keep interrupting you. <laughs> no, what is it? Is it the first what? Yeah, that's the first of the. Yes, O'Neill first of Adams, the right. O'Neill Adams ones. Yes, you know he he saved a bunch of people, but anyway, you know Ben Abernathy. It, it looks like he edits all. Um, oh, never mind. I was going to say, it looks like he edits all of these, but then I go to the Justice League one, and he's not editing that one, so never mind. Um, but let's see. It looks like the Justice League Prime come in for the Justice League one by Carrie Bates and Andy Smith and Gordon Purcell and Jose Marzan Jr. And other than Carrie Bates, 
I can tell you that none of them actually worked on the title during that time. Um, Gordon per- Oh. Gordon Purcell's oh. actually pretty good. Oh, I was thinking of someone else. Okay. Oh, okay. Right. Uh, but the reprint, of course, is a Dick Dillon has Dick Dillon on the art, and that's usually very seventies Justice League. Right. Uh, Detective Comics eight eighty again is by Scott Snyder. Looks like the Joker might be in it. Was that title doubled up too towards the end? Looks like it. Huh. I, I think. Well, see, I think they that's what they were doing because they had stuff they wanted to finish up, but then oh right, yeah, you know they had to finish it by a certain time. Right. Uh, Hal Jordan. Oh, I'm sorry. We're back in Flashpoint books again. <laughs> Hal <never> Jordan. Ends. <laughs> I'm tired. Uh, Hal Jordan number two. Kid Flash Lost number two. Lois Lane of the Resistance number two, and Project Superman number two. All came out, and he looks like a little kid in that one. Anyway, uh, Gotham City Sirens number twenty-five came out. A bitter betrayal. Looks like Harley's about to hammer. Catwoman and possibly Poison Ivy? Or, no, just Poison... Just, just Catwoman. Poison Ivy's got Catwoman trapped. But that's really not important because Green Arrow number 14 involves mechs. Mega mechs. Which, okay. if you don't know, are giant like suits of robotic stuff against Green Arrow and his you know, arrows. <laughs> uh, Green Lantern Emerald Warriors number 12. And because it's a Green Lantern book, it also had a variant. That's all I can say about that one. Justice, number 12, or number 12, no, Justice Hardcover, which is the hardcover reprinting the entire, I guess, 12-issue maxi-series. It's by Jim Kruger and Alex Ross for everyone to see. Yep. It's, yeah, it was cool. Justice Society of America, number 53, is very Another bright. Book. Another, title. Another one you dropped? Another yeah. title I dropped. Um, let's see. Teen Titans number 98, because I told you they doubled up. Uh, looks like Superboy Prime is going up against Superboy. So that's got to be not at all repeating anything that had happened previously in the last couple of years by that point. And Wonder Woman number 613 also got a variant because it's Wonder Woman and uh, Straczynski was working on that sort of pretended to wrote some stuff on a napkin <laughs> put her in a different costume here's a post-it note good <laughs> yeah. luck yeah basically I just wanted to change her costume that's really all that happened but that's it see I told you there was a little Ooh, more more than usual a lot of books wasn't it yeah it didn't quite take an hour well maybe for us because Mike's internet went down but but you, we did the listeners, will never know the difference. Yeah, you'll only Not know because Charlie said yeah. so. But uh, peek behind the screen. Yeah, but for you guys, it'll only be about forty-five minutes. So um, <laughs> that brings us to the end of Superman in the Bronze Age. Mike, why don't you tell the good folks at home or wherever they're listening where else they can find you on the interwebs? Everywhere. There you go. Just type in so, a website, and I'll be there. No, um, I. <laughs> Not stalkery at all. I host um, a podcast called Superman and Batman, where maybe surprisingly, I talk about Superman and Batman. Um, and you can find that at greatcrypton.com. That comes out pretty much weekly. Uh, 
depending on my schedule. And I also recently started a new podcast with my friend Sean Engel called Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast. Uh, and, and on that show, we are looking at the Tangent books, which was which were uh, a couple special events that DC put out in the late 90s where they took their entire uh, line of characters and created an entire new universe using just the names of the characters. Uh, Green Lantern, instead of being a, uh, uh, a police, uh, outer space police cop, it's a woman who acts as sort of a, uh, a crypt keeper type of character and, and tells stories from the universe. And the Atom, instead of being a guy that shrinks, is a nuclear-powered superhero and, and so on. And they're really interesting books and, and tell some, some good stories, so we are looking at those. And you can also find that at greatcrypton.com. I'm hosting them, hosting it on my site. Um, and that's about it. Jeez. Two, you're hosting both of them? Yes. Wow, you're cool. We'll be covering but... all the uh <laughs> we'll be covering all the tangent miniseries things that they did like after uh where they I think it crossed over with the proper DCU um, after Infinite Crisis. Mm, Have you even ta- talked continued. about that? We haven't really talked about it. Okay. We're definitely okay. going to do the two events with okay. all the one shots. Uh so check that out and it's definitely the, the books didn't get a lot of attention, so you know. Well, yeah, they were fifth not, week events. podcast and you know. But by, by the way, folks, we should point out that the reason that that Green Lantern lady is called Green Lantern is because she carries a lantern, and it is green. Yeah, yeah, that's it's pretty much on the nose. But kind of, kind of know. part of it. I mean, I haven't read the books yet, but uh, I, I know that she carries a Green Lantern, <laughs> not not a not actual person, but a lantern, and that's green. So anyway, well, Mike, I want to thank you again for being on the show thank you and for. Oh, thank you. And for the support you've given to both me and the show over the years and for having me on your show multiple times, well, you, multiple you, shows. <laughs> you put out a great show here, Charlie. And I'm oh, very, well, well, thank I, you. I told you before, I'm just I'm very sad to see it go. I understand why it couldn't be for a better reason, but still. Congratulations. Well, thank you very much. We could probably find them. No, it's the best reason. So, <laughs> well, that or I, I ran out of Bronze Age books, but I like this. Uh, this one's better because it, this yeah. one leaves with some of my sanity intact. Yes, yes. Um, mm, yay! I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I've seen kids, but well, that's a, that's true. Well, we'll 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 see what happens. Anyway, uh, thank you again for being on the show, yeah. and thank you all for listening. And I will see you next time. You're going to see them. It's, it's going to be a video, a, a video yes. We're, we're going video next time. <laughs> we'll see you all later. Bye. Thank you for listening to Superman in the Bronze Age, hosted by Charlie Niemeyer. Show notes can be found at www.supermaninthebronzeage.com, as well as links to the RSS and iTunes feeds and more. Also, we have a Facebook fan page where you'll get a little notice whenever a new episode is posted. Feel free to like us there. Want to comment on the episode you just heard? Email the show at superbronze1970 at gmail.com. Superman in the Bronze Age is a proud member of both the Superman Podcast Network at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com and the Comics Podcast Network at www.comicspodcasts.com. Make sure to check out both sites for more great podcasts. 
Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster and is copyright DC Comics. Thank you again for listening, and God bless. to our show on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher allows you to listen to your favorite shows directly from your iPhone, Android phone, BlackBerry, or Palm phones. On demand and on the go. Don't have Stitcher? Download it for free today at Stitcher.com or in the app stores. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. Radio.